Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, everybody. Welcome to your Tuesday, 21st of February, just gone midday. You're on Afternoons with Staffy in association with the crew at Gull, giving you economical fuel options right around the country. They'll fuel your mission all year round. Fuel your car, your bike, your jet ski, the whole shebang. Great to have their company here. Um, special thoughts, as always, going out to all of the areas that are affected. I know it's um, convenient to say Hawke's Bay, um, but also, gosh, Tolaga Bay. Tairawhiti, the whole area, Murawai, Coromandel, Northland, even people still in Auckland. I was out helping someone clean up on Saturday morning in Manyarewa, and it was amazing, really. They, it was a family with two kids who had gone to the grandparents, and it was mum and dad, me, a couple of people from his rugby league club. And this place was destroyed, not to the extent of the others, but still bad. And um, all they were thinking about were the poor people that were worse than them. So if you're still one of those people, and it'll be a long, long rebuild, I know our thoughts here are definitely with you as we go through the next days, weeks, months. Um, it's going to be massive. Coming up on the show today, just after one, Miyamoto, Kiwi professional boxer. It's just been confirmed about an hour ago she's going to fight for a world title in Auckland in the super bantamweight, the IBO world title fight against um, Tanya Walters, a Canadian fighter. It's a vacant world title belt. Amazing. Amazing. So what a backstory she's got as well. So Mia Motu, uh, just after 1 o'clock. 1.40, Brad Walter, NRL.com senior rider. It's about to get underway, the NRL. Been a big pre-season, including World Club Championship uh, with the Panthers going down. Uh, Bharat Sundaresan, he's an SENZ cricket commentator, coming to us live out of India. So we'll talk through the India-Australia Test Series, which is sort of mirroring, mirroring, one of the hardest words to say. Uh, New Zealand, England, um, with one team dominant and one team not. Uh, we'll join Jimmy Smith across the ditch as we do at about quarter to four. We also have our, our regulars, what's making news. We've got draft day Tuesday today, which will be a little bit different. Uh, the vault is up to how much, Sam? We've gone 100 to 150, I think it's 250. Yeah, it's 250 the vault today, TAB bonus bet. So we'll have that for you and we'll have a look back in the day. But... Midday Madness. I tiptoe towards the subject. Women's football. Football ferns. We are five months away from the FIFA Women's World Cup being in New Zealand and Australia. Arguably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, sporting event that New Zealand's held. And I think the magnitude of it will be felt when it actually arrives. We're in a pre-season, uh, sorry, a pre-World Cup tournament sorting out the final qualifying spots here in New Zealand. I've been watching the football ferns and I've been watching a couple of the other games as well. And I'm always, uh, people that listen regularly, I'm a big supporter of women's sport, female athletes, but I'm really struggling with the football ferns. Um, not saying they're not trying, but they just don't look good enough to me. So that's what our midday madness is. Now, I haven't followed women's football 
pretty much ever. I don't actually, I'm not a big connoisseur of football, but I've been watching because I'm excited about the FIFA Women's World Cup being here in New Zealand. And some of the best female athletes in the world will be on our shores plying their trade and entertaining us, and it'll be brilliant. I would just love New Zealand to look like they're a little bit better. And I'm not saying they're not trying hard, but I feel like they don't run fast. I feel like they pass to no one. I feel like I don't see shape. But I'm an absolute novice in football. A lot of you people out there are much better at reading football to me. So kicking and screaming, I've brought our international football correspondent. She's a staff member here, but she has played international uh, football internationally, not for America, but um, you hate me saying that you're a good football player, Casey. But thank you for agreeing to come in here begrudgingly. Um, and I've said I'm not going to tee off on the football ferns, but I am mystified how they've got to a ranking of world 20, 22, whatever they were, and they just don't seem up to it. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Seth. Um, <laughs> I think they're currently sitting at 24 in the world um, and just playing Portugal a couple of days ago, who I believe are 22nd, and Argentina last night, who are 29th. Um, so all arguably pretty close in FIFA rankings and got absolutely trounced by Portugal 5-0 and then um, looked a little bit better against Argentina last night, losing 2-0, but still... Um, yeah, it just doesn't seem to really be coming together for them on the field as a cohesive unit. And I am friends with some of those girls, have played alongside some of those girls and want the best for them. And I know they're absolutely going out there and, you know, giving everything they have for um, sounding a little bit elementary there. But like, it's just not they're not cohesive together on the field. You're not seeing like a national team quality standard when they step out there. Yeah, so I was watching Argentina and cohesion's a really good term for it Casey because they look like they're playing in a team they look like they've got structure they've got patterns they build as they move through the field creating opportunities whereas the football ferns look like they've just met each other in the dressing room before they ran out and they've drawn straws to see which position they'll play and and no one dominates, no one commands. And I, I haven't seen anything in the last few matches I've watched the football fans have gone, wow, that was amazing. Um, we lack pace, I feel like. Um, and just general on-the-ball skills and structuring a position, a terminus position, which creates a chance. I, I, I'm not seeing that, that I'm seeing from Taipei, Thailand, Paraguay, uh, Argentina, Portugal, Czech Republic. They create yeah, they they look a bit, bit disjointed. Um, I know they've been toying around with a few different formations, which I'm sure they're you know wanting to have a few up their sleeve when they get to the World Cup. But at this stage, you'd almost think that they'd want to be focusing to get one right before they you know move on to the second or the third. Um, I know there's been a couple injuries. Ellie Riley wasn't out there last night. Obviously, um, one of the Fern's strongest players. Um, so. You know, people are stepping in and obviously they're trying out different things with lineups and um, that sort of thing. When you're playing a match every three, four days in the World Cup, you need to be able to have a rotation going on. So obviously they're trying to do all of that, but um, to not see any sort of result or even like anything super, super promising is, is a little bit concerning. They were a bit unlucky in the first goal they gave away last night at the poor deflection, but I mean, you maybe 
scored Zerd to be three to one instead of two nil. I mean, it wasn't like it was an unfair result at the end of the match. I'd say mm. it just looks to me. And again, I always preface this: I'm no football fan, uh, no football follower, um, <laughs> and I don't fully understand the game. But um, Argentina's second goal, we had five five of the white ferns behind the ball. They had two go up and they scored a goal, and three three of our players just left flat footed. And I'm just like. What's going on? And my overarching thing is maybe they're just not good enough on the international stage, which is very different to they're not trying. I 100% believe they're trying as best they can, which then led me to why. And we're a small country. um, And when you look at the attraction that the Black Ferns, the Black Ferns Sevens, maybe the more gifted athlete is being drawn to that because they... I think you said a phrase this morning, see it, be it. Um, They're world champions. Um, They're winning World 7 Series. They're fast. They're strong. They're combative. They're fit. That's easier to aspire to than to be a a football player in New Zealand at the moment, I think. Um, And if you get the young girls going along to watch the football ferns losing 4-0 USA, 5-0 USA, 5-0 Portugal, 2-0 Argentina, it's not aspirational. Yeah, it's um, it's concerning because, like you mentioned earlier, that is the biggest tournament in the world for women's football is coming to New Zealand and Australia in five short months. And it's such a platform to be able to inspire young girls and for them to come out and, you know, watch girls from their country compete on the biggest stage and dream to to be that. And um, yeah, the football friends have a long way to go in five months to be able to kind of garner that support from you know just a casual fan who might just come out to a game because you know the world cup's in their country um you know they're gonna hop on the bandwagon of the u.s or you know sweden or another um larger nation um that will be there if they're winning and having results and stuff and look i hope i hope i'm wrong i hope that they can turn this around in five months and um like if you can't get up for the World Cup in your own country, you're never going to get up for any any match. So you know, hopefully, when they take on Norway, July twentieth, it's um, an inspired squad taking the field, and that it can resonate with with people and young girls watching. Because um, I know the power that that can have is seeing it right in front of you. How do you react to my opening remark? I have to tiptoe around the subject because. <laughs> As you know, yeah, I mean, you've lived in New Zealand a few years now. We absolutely give the All Blacks a toweling, the Black Caps a toweling when they're not performing. And I'm in the media and I'm scared to criticise the football ferns. <laughs> but they are our national representative team. Um, and the reason I don't want to be overcritical is I don't come from a position of knowledge on the game. So I, I, I have to be, I'm wary of that. But my gosh, I've... I've compiled their games since February 2019. I won't tell you the scores of the teams, but it goes like this. uh, Loss, win, loss, win, loss, win, win. We're going okay. Then, loss, 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 draw, loss, 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 win. Loss, loss, draw, loss, 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 loss. Wow. If the FIFA World Cup wasn't in New Zealand, we'd be providing referees and... uh, lines people, we wouldn't get anywhere near it. Five months isn't long enough to turn this around, I don't think. So I want to put the football ferns and ring fence, the coach and the players who are probably doing their very best, and I'd argue they're probably playing the best they can without without the structure you'd like to see. So outside the football ferns, 
women's soccer in New Zealand, women's football in New Zealand, club, school, is there enough quality, skill, resource going in that area in New Zealand? Yeah, it's a it's a bigger question, which I probably can't speak fully to, but I have played in the country for the last few years um, at the Prem and National League level. Um, you know, this past season in Women's National League here, the top four teams out of all of the teams around the country uh, were all Auckland-based teams. Um, a little bit of dilution of talent, maybe, um, or everybody just happens to be here in Auckland, and we played the whole winter league together and then the other teams around the country were kind of formed from other regions uh, so they hadn't spent the whole winter playing together but I don't know I think it, it is it does come down to maybe a development question um, just from the ground up because yeah take away you know the co- current coach or the formations and the current players there um, you know if if the issue is that we're just not good enough um, I think that starts at the bottom and from a youth a youth level, like you were saying earlier, you know, like the rugby and the sevens and all of that, like it's normally a country that punches above its weight in sport. Um, and yeah, it's a small nation, but um, yeah, the the rugby and the netball and, and all of that, like in the Olympics and stuff, you know, you guys seem to do just fine. It is why, why isn't football, soccer getting those athletes? Why are they going elsewhere and it it seems like it's in the communities like I see it you know like I played for spring western western springs and you know there's all little kids running around on Saturday mornings and I don't know whether the focus is just on rugby and you know kids lose interest and they want to do something else or I don't know the answer the the bigger issues but I do think it starts at the bottom at a developmental level and um, then rises to the top. So we've got to look a little bit longer term, I think, because if you look at the Phoenix women's side, I think they've had a win and a draw since their yep, inception. Yep. That's not good enough, and that's that's below international standard, but that's mm-hmm. where our international players are going to come from. They will be getting better, but my word, I feel like whew, I feel like competing on the international stage is on about floor 12 of the football building, and we're still trying to find a park in the basement before we can even start climbing the stairs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, like you said, you kind of tiptoe around, like, criticising them, but I think it's it's fair. And as a former woman athlete and, like, wanting equality across the board, like, I think, you know, you have to criticise as much as you lift up. So I think it's definitely fair to kind of have the microscope on them, especially knowing what's coming in five months. And even if it wasn't in New Zealand, you'd be concerned um, because it is the biggest tournament that you're training for and looking to put your best foot forward and to yeah, have results like that. I think their most recent win was against the Philippines, two to one. And they do have the Philippines in their, their bracket um, in the World Cup, which is on paper the game that they absolutely have to win. Um yeah, hopefully, hopefully they can. Um, hopefully they can turn things around and yeah, get some results. But we'll so, see. So if you could do one thing, uh, like um, we can't make them run faster. That's my real <laughs> beef. Is they just get beaten to the ball. So you can't make them run faster. Um, are they fit enough? Um, you can't teach them enough skills to get them in contention in five months. <laughs> What's something we can change in five months? That's a hard question. I know. Yeah, it's a hard question. Um, 
and like I said, the desire and the passion, like if you can't get up, get yourself ready and motivated to play in a World Cup game, like you never will be um, as an American. And I know sometimes like we get criticized for not being as technical as we should be. And like you, you breed a bunch of athletes, you know, they're fit, they're strong. Um, you know, they're running circles around everybody on the field. Um and for me as a player, that was always, if I was fit, then my game came. Um, it wasn't the other way around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, I know that they work with some of the top strength and, condition, strength and conditioning coaches in the country. So it's not to say they're not working hard. But, um, yeah, I mean, that is something you could improve in five months for sure, um, is your, your overall fitness and um, explosiveness off the ball. But, again, I think it's just the cohesion as a team, um, just trying to gel together and and just find that collective, I don't know, motivation to like rise above. Like I said, I've played with some of these girls. I know that the level that they can play at and yeah, hopefully they can find it within themselves to yeah, just come together um, on the biggest stage. Mm. Well, as we say, we're going to be critical of them, but we doesn't mean we don't support them. It means we care and we want them to do better. Casey, thanks for chatting to me today. All good stuff. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So there you go. What are your thoughts, people? 0800 Have you watched? Have you been a bit dismayed like me? I'm so excited we've got such a massive sporting event coming to New Zealand. I'd just like our nation's representative at that tournament to be a bit better than what they are. And I have no idea about why and why not, which is why we gratefully thank Casey for coming in. But the record's not flash. What's been your observations, people? 0800 150 Love to hear from you. 0800 150 Talking about the football ferns. We talked to Joey. G'day, Joey. Yeah, g'day, Steph. Look, um, they, they haven't got much attack, you know. Um, when you're going into games, and, and uh, you know, and especially in football, you know, the, You've got to score goals to win games. Now they've played the last four games, haven't scored a goal. They've they've had a, the first game against uh, the states. They had no shots on goal. Well, that's that's to me part of coaching. You know, you you have got to coach the side to attack. Don't worry about your defence too much because that'll come. You know, goals will happen. You know, in your defence, and you and you don't want to be leaking goals. If you were leaking goals five and six six nil nil or whatever, you know that's not that's that's not good at all. But if you were getting beaten 4-2 or 4-3, well, then you can work on something, Steph. You know, you can go, well, OK, our defence is not that great, but we're scoring goals. Mm. These girls, to me, aren't getting the balls, crossing the balls and getting them into the box so, so that they can, they can score. Um, you know, they'll have two shots on goal and, and, and everyone will go, that's, that's acceptable. And look, not being mean to the coach, but I think since, since she's taken over... Um, and her regime, they've gone a little bit backwards. And, and you know, it's, it's hard to say because you don't want to be too critical of them and, and, and everything. But I would get the, the girls out there that are um, that are the attackers. And I would, especially when, you know, when you're not you're only having one or two shots on goal, I would keep them out, out at training for another half hour and just getting balls, the girls to cross balls in from the wings into the box it doesn't matter if they miss them or whatever. Just keep doing that, and eventually that will come right. And then, you know, you also you get, say, two of your midfielders to obviously playing balls through to them. And then they'll get the confidence of, oh, instead of um, just passing around and, and, and oh, passing the ball, oh, we, you know, we did 172 passes. 172 passes is no good if you can't score. Mm-hmm. It's simple. 
know, you've got to be able to score, and they're not doing that at all um, at the moment. And that's that's their downfall, I think, at the moment. Their their attackers, they're not scoring, or they're not they're not making chances. If you if you make plenty of chances, eventually you'll put one or two in the back of the net. And if and if you get beaten three two or whatever, that's fine. I mean, I look at it just quickly, staff. I look at it at, at West Ham's one of the sides at the moment in the English league. Their, their strikers are terrible, and they could well get relegated because their, their strikers aren't doing the job, you know. And they go one nil down, then then you're not going to win, you, or you're struggling to win. And this is what's happening, I think, with the New Zealand girls. They're going one nil down and going, where are we going to get a goal from, or where are we going to, you know, we shots on goal. You know, if you if you get the shots on goal, eventually, surely one one will go in, or one or two will go in. If they don't, at least if you've had seven, ten. 12 shots on goal, at least you're doing that part, that part's starting to work. But at the moment, from what I see, it's not working at all, you know? Yep, good points, really good points. Um, I, I wish I felt like they were close to doing that, but I just feel like they're a wee way away. But um, appreciate your call, Joey. Thank you, sir. No worries. You guys have a nice day. Cheers, buddy. Uh, quickly, we go to Troy. G'day, Troy. Steffi, hey, mate. G'day, Troy. Um... I'm glad you brought it up, the, the topic. I'm a bit like you. It's, uh, you feel like, well, I'll speak for myself, you feel like you can't be critical um, against a side, but the reality is, you know, you read out the, the proofs and putting there, you read out those results, and that's shocking. And that's, um, you know, they're, they're the, the top echelon on the women's football in the country, and they need to be performing better. And I, I get the feeling that the coaches, uh, whether or not she's been asked to, but I, I think she might be a little bit too nice, to be fair. And, um, I think they need to hold hard facts, you know. Girls, you're, you're playing in a World Cup in five months' time. For me, they're lacking, um, you know, talking about the other guy, for me, you know, strikers win games, but defenders win championships. And it starts at the back, and that's where the game builds from. But that they just seem to be lacking in all areas of the game. With, um, their speed, their technique, uh, the, the enthusiasm... Um, and, you know, to me, a lot of that lies with the coach. The coach is, is, is there to get the best out of the players and, and to work with the team to, you know, to, to improve on that technique, etc. But um, they've gone backwards. They've clearly gone backwards. It's been disappointing watching these pre-season games. And, and I'll be getting along on Thursday night and I'll keep supporting them. But five months, um, you know, and Casey, you had on there before, um, they are not fit enough and they need to be fit enough because that creates mental toughness. And, and to me, they're lacking in those critical, you know, that mental toughness and their uh, mental, uh, the, the uh, technical areas. Um, and and that's, that's, a, that's coaching to me. They're a young bunch of girls. You know, when you, when you look at the previous teams, there's a few players missing some age and experience. And you take a couple of, um, you know, girls that have been around the American scene for a long time. You take them out of the, the picture and you're left with a really cool bunch of young, reasonably inexperienced girls. And, and um, you know, that's tough. But um, there's players in that side that need to step up and, and uh, be accountable. And the coach and the coaching staff need to be accountable as well. So that that's a really appalling record that you... And that's that's quite sad, actually. And any other sport in this country, and we'd, be, um, we'd have the knives out. So, um, But, you know, just to, on, a, on a positive note... Um, I think they can turn around there. It's going to be tough, you know, but to be competitive, not to get in your butt kicked in every game, and that's what we want. We want to see some toughness, some grit, some good old Kiwi determination, and, and giving it your best shot, you know. So, um, 
yeah, good luck to the girls. Good luck on Thursday night against the Argies, and I'll be there supporting them. But um, I think they need the cold hard facts, and the coach needs to, to um, you know, be cruel to be kind. Yeah. So that's my lot. Good points, Troy, and thanks for carrying on supporting them. I, I will support them as well. Um, I just need to get my head around why it's not happening for them at the moment. That's Troy. 0800 150 811. Keen to get your thoughts on the football ferns after the news. You better start to move your feet to the rockinest beat of madness. Yeah. <clears throat> 0800 150 11 text in here saying football at the youth level is user pays. The talented kids cannot afford the talent centres, etc. Another consideration. Something else too. Abby Ursig, um, 49 times capped for the Football Ferns. Um, doesn't make herself available for the Football Ferns. Um, she's playing, I think she's in the US, playing her professional trade. Hasn't played for the Football Ferns since 2017 or 18, something like that. That's a red flag for me. That's Steve, Stephen Adams not playing for the Tall Blacks type scenario. Um, she does talk around the issue and I just get a feeling there's some reason she won't play. Um, so I don't know. And just looking at their results, if I, I looked at 2019, for example, so I'm just wondering what's gone wrong. In 2019... Um, they had a swag of games, actually. Australia, they lost 2-0. Then they beat Argentina 2-0. They beat Norway 1-0. They beat Mexico 2-1. They beat England 1-0. Interspersed with losses to the States, Wales, Netherlands, Canada, Cameroon. So that was um, 2019 was a 1-2-3-4 win, 6-loss, six 6-7-loss six season. But they played some pretty good sides. Um, 2020 obviously cut short due to um, COVID, just the two losses and a draw. Um, and then they just haven't had a result of note. 2021, once they got back up and away, three losses and a win against South Korea. 2022, drew with Czech Republic, lost to Aussie twice, lost to Norway, um, Drew with Wales, then they beat Mexico and the Philippines back-to-back, September 2022. But since then, she's been slim pickings. Uh, and then this year, which is the most important year, 4-5-0 and five nil to USA. I'd sort of excuse that. USA, I think, are far and away the best team in the world. But Portugal, 5-0, Argentina 2-0. They've got a chance at redemption, which is just the Argentinian game um, on the 23rd. When's that? Thursday. Thursday they're playing Argentina. So I just, I just watching it, I'm a huge, I'm very patriotical when it comes to New Zealand um, sports teams, athletes on the world stage, and I watch and I cheer and I hope. But it just looks like we have slower athletes, less skilled athletes than what we're seeing from the other countries. I'm seeing the other countries playing as a unit, and I don't feel like I'm seeing New Zealand playing as a unit. Once again, I'm no football expert. Um, had a couple of calls in the first half hour saying the attack. Well, I haven't seen an attack. It looks blunt. Like, they always seem to have more defenders than our attackers, and they seem to have more attackers than we have defenders. So is there a transitional part of football that we're just not getting right? We're not building. We're, there's all those Hail Mary kicks down the field hoping 
that will find someone and just wellying it from the defensive goal box just to clear some time and distance. We don't seem to construct much. Um, that's my unfootball brain watching that. So if you know a bit more about football than me, and that's most of you, 0800 Scott from Wellington. G'day, Scott. Hey, Steph. How are you going? Good, Scott. Um, yeah, I think following on what the, the other two guys said before, um, is, as well as um, if you're not creating anything in attack, obviously you're not going to score. And I think one of the, the biggest issues that I've got, and I've, I've got to admit, I, I follow football very closely, but obviously not as much on the women's side. Um, but I, I do watch the Ferns when they do play. And um, I, I think you're right. They haven't got the speed to utilise the, the space around the field. And, and obviously one of the key things in football is uh, using that space and, um, you know, creating those chances for the ball to come into the box. And, and we just don't have the speed down the flanks to be able to do that. Um, and I don't think we're skillful enough to go through the middle, um, which is the other option that you, you'd want to do. And what I sort of have seen as well is, um, I mean, I'll take the USA games out of it because um, USA had obviously so far ahead that it's, it's hard to look at it in that play. But um, in the other games, is we've just got no patience when we've got the ball. It's, it's basically not, not looking up and seeing what is available. It's just get in there and just hit it upfield and, and hope as well at the same time. Um, yeah, you know, I'm sort of the same. I feel like when we're in possession, we just send it downfield and turn it into a 50-50 position. Maybe we get it, maybe we don't. There doesn't seem to be a lot of construction going on. Exactly, exactly. And, and I mean, if you, you're doing that, I mean, teams work that out pretty quick. And, you know, if, you, if you're just trying to hit it up to your striker and they're solely up there by themselves... All you have to do as a, um, a defensive team is just put two players on them and um, it, it becomes impossible to, to to get away from it and, and then be able to create anything at the same time. So, Scott, you clearly watch a lot more football than me and you've watched a little bit of the football ferns and I don't want... This might sound harsh, but I feel like we're, we're probably not as fit as the other teams. We're definitely not as fast as the other teams and their skill set isn't what the other teams have got. And I'm not saying they're not trying. I think they're trying as hard as they can, but they're just not good enough. And I feel like a twat saying that, but I just feel like we're not good enough. To sum up, pretty much, yeah. Um, I mean, we, we have obviously quite a few of the players come through the, the A-League women's competition, which is still a pretty new competition at the same time. Um, we've got a sprinkling of players that play in, in other leagues around the world, but I mean, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's like the, the men's side of things as well at times is, yeah, you get your players like Chris Wood and, and Winston Reid and that, that, that made it to the top, or made it to obviously at the top of the Premier League. And, um, you know, when you've got those players, you utilise them. But we just really haven't got that at the moment. And, and, I mean, the other teams are, you know, they are quite far ahead of us. And, and I mean, the, the competitions that they play in for, you know, like in the States, the um, the Super League, the women play in over in, in the UK and that as well is just, it's so far ahead of, of obviously, the A-League. And, you know, if, if we're not playing that week in, week out, it does make it a lot harder. Mm. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough watch. Okay, Scott, thanks for calling, buddy. No worries. Have a good day, Steph. You too, mate. Scott out of Wellington there. Join in the conversation if you like. 0800 150 811. Yeah, an interesting subject, this uh, football ferns, and trying to identify what needs to change, what needs to happen. My, my actual feeling is 
do we have to take like a 10-year approach? Yes, we'll host this. It'll be an amazing um, football tournament. It's a World Cup in New Zealand and Australia. It's fantastic. But if New Zealand football um, want these football ferns to be inspirational for our youngsters to be aspiring to be, to be the, they need, it looks like there's no quick fix. They probably have the best women's football players available, New Zealanders, playing for the football ferns. And they're not cutting it. They are trying, but they're not cutting it. So interesting text about academies and development of football. Sam, you went through, I know it's a wee while since you went through school and you went to the States on a football scholarship. What, what, and it's probably not too different over in the States now to when it was 10 years ago when you were there. How do they treat aspiring football players, soccer players in America? Mm. Well, I mean, it's that they're big on any sport, obviously, you know, like that I was sort of blown away with the school I went to and the resource that was there with like our field, I think cost something like $3 million or $4 million, just the football field with all the drainage and the way it was set up in the grass and all that sort of stuff. It was a, an expensive field, but you know, and then the locker rooms and, and you, know, you walk in, your, your training kit's all washed and folded and everything's wow. sitting at your locker. And then at the end of the day, you throw it back in. The next day, it's all clean. They're ready for you to go. Um, you know, you had like team managers that, um, you know, made sure all the cones and balls were out by the time you got out there. It was like very highly resourced for basically high school. Um, so, but, and that was like every sport. They just really do throw everything at it. But I think the college system is, particularly for, for soccer football, you obviously wouldn't go there as a rugby player because the competition's better in New Zealand. But see, if you're a young footballer, male or female, um, not only can you get an education while you're playing, but it, it, the, the level is very high. You're getting players from all over the world now um, going to the college system over in the States. So that's a great pathway. And I know a lot of our football ferns um, women are going over to the States now to do the college system. I just think the biggest problem, Steph, is we, and, and it's the men's side is exactly the same as the women's side. We just don't play as, mu- as many games as these other teams. Like when you look at the European teams and the South American teams who play in these like local international competitions like the, the Copa America or the Euros or whatever, constant games, constant competition. Whereas, you know, look at the All Whites. They play two games every two years type thing. And mm. you're just not going to get better as a national side. No matter how good your players are and where they're playing in the world, where they come from. I, I've always speculated, like, what if we set up a New Zealand football base in Europe? So for the men's and the women's team, so for the football ferns and all whites, you set up full-time in Europe so that people that are coming from Europe, it's not a big travel factor. So guys like Chris Wood are only having to take a, a one-hour, two-hour flight. Um, same with people in, you know, Russia or Turkey, wherever they're playing. They come and meet their... Jeez, and you've picked two ripper countries. I oh, know, sorry. I don't know why those two came to my head first. <laughs> they were in the uh, headlines. Yeah, Syria. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but the, and then obviously you've got close European competition. The biggest problem we have is we can't get teams to travel down to New Zealand to play because it's a 14-hour flight during an uh, international window. It's not enough time for players to leave their clubs, get back, be fit, etc. So you have it in Europe and you can play a whole bunch of Europe countries. They don't even have to be good ones, Steph. Like, we can play, you know, not that, like Switzerland. It's not, it's not, um, it's not a Germany, it's not a Belgium, it's not a Netherlands, but like a Switzerland, you know, and you pick those sort of small countries or a Hungary or whatever. Norway, Denmark. Norway, correct. And yeah. you just play them regularly in Europe. Now, then when the opportunity arises, you bring the team back home and you play the home games back in New Zealand. But, what we need to do is these play. If you're playing for the national team, they need to be playing regular games because I genuinely think two things. Firstly, we are definitely good enough. Like we have athletes in New Zealand. Look how we do at the Olympics. Look how we do in rugby and cricket and all these sports. We overachieve. We have good athletes in this country. So I don't just. I don't think we don't have the skill. I think we have the skill somewhere in there. 
but so we've so we so we do have the skill. The other thing that I think I don't know where I'm going with this now, but more games is basically my my bottom line. Is your, more your games. point about sort of cohesion. We have the athletes. Imagine yeah. someone like Michaela Blyde had played soccer football since she was six. Mm. That speed, that strength, that fitness, that determination, and I don't see that physiologically the athlete in the football ferns. Mm. Um, people like um, Matty Gordon in, in, in the netball, um, Kimi Oropoi, rapid, fit, yeah, fast. Do you know the ironic thing, though, is, is that football, probably more so than any other sport in New Zealand, I would argue this, and some, you, know, you can definitely um, go and look up the, the actual stats on this, but I would say football is one of the highest retention of any sport in New Zealand in terms of you play football when you're in high school, you generally play it when you're out of high school, you play club level, if you're, if you're semi-decent, you'll play first team reserves, but if you're not, you generally play with mates, and, you, and a lot of people play, and then you've got Masters League, so when you're over 35, you play in Masters Leagues, like people keep playing football, whereas mm. rugby, we know the drop-off is dire after high school if you don't make a super rugby team whatever people just completely fall off a cliff so that so to to a point there's a massive pool to pick from in terms of players huge pool of footballers Mm. that keep playing post high school and maybe get better and maybe develop late and you know peak at different times so your, your point there about why don't we have like they're definitely out there but it's just putting them on a stage that is competitive regularly because if they're just playing local women's league for Birkenhead or Central United or whatever, we know that that doesn't compare to these women playing in Argentina, these women playing in the UK, you know? Um, But it's it's, it's a a layered thing though, isn't it? There's a lot of layers to it, but I'm sort of in your camp. It's disappointing. I think the all whites are the same. I think it's disappointing at where our two football national teams sit. Which is a really high participation sport. I know on yep. the men's side, I don't know about the women's. But and, and just to wrap it up, in 2019, we beat Argentina, we beat Norway, we beat Mexico, and we beat England. They are wow, serious. Yeah, skills. those are great. Yeah, great competitors. In 2019, but, you know, then the momentum faded away, and I guess COVID probably has played a role. But mm, we certainly haven't bounced back well yeah. from that. Anyway, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I mean, uh, football has the World Cup, and New Zealand get pantsed. Rugby has the same and wins. So which one is attracting the talented athletes? My point, you've got to aspire to, you know, I'm thinking about the 7 to 12-year-old girls who aspire to represent New Zealand. What's what's inspiring them at the moment? Is it the football ferns? Is it the black ferns? Is it Zoe zadowski Sinnott? Is it Sophie Pascoe? Is it Lisa Carrington? You know how the kids work. If you're six or seven and you're watching Sophie Pascoe winning gold medals and world titles, Dad, I want to learn how to kayak. And you're watching the football ferns getting towed up by USA and Portugal. I don't think they'll aspire to it because that's how kids operate. So if you're seeing football about serious about um, building participation in the women's game, um, I feel like they need a decade plan, a, a serious decade plan to change the fortunes. Anyway... Coming up, 1 o'clock news on the other side of this, Miyamoto. She's got a world title fight in boxing just around the corner. Well, fight fans, we have got an April to look forward to. We have a world title fight coming to our shores. IBO Super Bantamweight. Oh, my goodness. Miyamoto is stepping into the into the ring. Uh, gosh, I'm so much looking forward to this. Looking forward to chatting to her all day. Miyamoto, welcome to the show. 
Thank you for having me. Pretty damn exciting. <laughs> yep, it is. I always had on my bucket list in my life to go to a world title fight, and I went to the Joe Parker Andy Ruiz. I can't believe I'm going to get to go to two in my uh, own country, which is amazing. Um, but before we look forward, I want to look back with you. What a story you've got to tell and what bravery you've had to be able to come out and talk about where you've come from and where you are now. I mean, the song that just played then was looking back over my shoulder. Do you look back over your shoulder about, gosh, it's been a hard life, Mia, um, when, I've, when I've looked at what you've been through. How much, how much inspiration do you put or do you get from what you've gone through and conquered? Oh, I get a lot, actually. It's very encouraging for me. It's definitely where I get my strength from. But, yeah, just me speaking about my story has definitely made me even more determined to become a world champion. So what? what's the – like, a lot of people won't know your backstory, and I don't want to talk about stuff that you're not comfortable talking about, okay? So if you could just maybe just give us a, a um, an abridged version of – what you went through from sort of 17 through through your 20s to where you are now? Um, I was a victim of being abused from my ex-partner. And I have, I had three children at the time. And it was very, um, very painful. And it was a struggle. It was very much a struggle. Yeah, and it's, you know, physical abuse and, and, and the fact that you, you're happy to come out and talk about that I think takes a lot of strength. So I congratulate you on that. And, and you're talking about how it, how it inspires you because having been at the darkest point in your life and wanting to give up but then just clicking your fingers and saying, I've got to stick around for my kids, how does that translate into inspiring you in your boxing career? Oh, it's everything. It's everything because... I'm a role model for, um, not just for the people, but for my children. I need, like, I'm the only parent they have, really, in their life, and they're the only one, I'm the only one they trust, and I need to be there to support them as well and teach them the right way and make sure that they don't fall into the same circle that I went through. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, you're with Isaac Peach, who's, Going about his business really nicely. He's got a nice stable of fighters. You probably get to train with the likes of David Light and um, Andre Mihailovic is there as well, Jerome Pampalone. It's a good little stable you've got there, Mia. Oh, definitely. It's the best stable. We're a really strong team. We treat each other like a family, and I really trust them, as it is really hard for me to trust people. How I understand you took up um, boxing young, and then walked away from it, went through your turmoils, and then came back to it. The fact that you did it at a young age, how quickly did you re-pick it up when you reconnected with Isaac? It didn't take me long. I picked it up really quick. Um, probably like within a month, I was already back into my skills then. Yeah, because of what I learned as a kid, it kind of just stayed with me. There's so many facets to boxing. Um, you know, there's there's footwork, there's head movement, there's defence, there's offence, there's combinations, there's fitness, there's strength, 
there's uh, mindset, so many components. What what have you made the most improvements on in, in the last couple of years? Oh, definitely would have to be the mental side of boxing. Definitely that would be, that's what I've improved, just backing myself and actually believing in it and believing that I do have the tools and skills to do it. You're fighting Tanya Walters out of Canada. Um, she hasn't had as many fights as you, but I've watched a little bit of her. She looks pretty handy. How much scouting or how much how much of your fight plan will be based on what she is going to bring to the ring? Um, I never really worry about what my opponents are going to bring. I focus on myself and what I'm, what I can do and what my ability is, and then everything just falls into place. There you go. Look at you. <laughs> you. You've got it sorted. You've got it sorted. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you've got an appointment with destiny, Mia, and, and, and you're like a, a big Kenworth truck driving through the forest. Nothing's going to stop you. Yeah, nothing will stop me. What's the goal? Like, obviously, you can only look one fight ahead, and Tanya Waters of Canada is, is the next hurdle, but you could be a world champion in a couple of months. Definitely. And I'm not stopping there. I want to collect all the belts. I want to be undisputed, and that's the number one goal. And I want to be the best in the world. This is super bantam weight. What's your ideal weight division? Super bantam is my ideal weight division, but I've fought in all different types of weight. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really fussed as long as I just fight. I love the I love the sport of boxing. It's what I'm passionate about, and it's who I am. You're a real busy fighter too. You don't have much time off between fights. No, I look, it's because I just love fighting. It's just, uh, and I'm just all about learning. And I'm only growing just to be a better fighter. Nice, nice. And you've you've pretty much all your fights have been in New Zealand, except your last one. I think it was your last one was in in Dubai, and you got a a, a split decision. What was it like to fight internationally for the first time? It was exciting, but when it actually happened, it was actually a lot different. It was a bit of a struggle because dealing with the culture shock and the language barrier, which was really different for me. But it was good for it was something new for me to experience, and I learned a lot out of it. I, I talk to boxers, and they learn something different out of every fight. Um, what did you learn about yourself and, and what you needed to work on in that last fight in Dubai? Oh, it was definitely what I learned about myself is not let the the culture of it affect me because it did I, it did really affect me. But I've learned that no, doesn't matter what the culture is, just need to express and be me. Because I guess every boxing ring's the same size. They all have three ropes. They all have turnbuckles. They all have corner people. They all have cut people. They all have a referee and they all have three judges. So is it a matter of you've got to, every boxing ring, wherever you fight in the world, it's just a boxing ring? Yeah, definitely. It's just a boxing ring. It's not until you get in there, then it becomes, when you're actually throwing your hands and letting it go, then it becomes a real, it can it can be emotional, it can be, it can be physical as well. So boxing is just, you just learn. You're always constantly learning, learning something new about yourself, which I love. That's what I love. 
powerful technical. Which end of the scale do you fit in? Oh, I'd have to say both, but I was, uh, <laughs> if I had to pick one, I'd go definitely powerful. Powerful. Well, that's good because yeah. you can work on technique, and that can that can aid your power, right? So. What are your yes. what's your go to? What's your money shot? Are you are you a are you a rip to the left body? Are you a sneaky overhand right? What what's your tools of trade? Tanya's not listening. I love body shots. Do you chop the body tree down? My number one chop. Yeah, chop the tree down. <laughs> That's my favourite thing. And what about when you're at the back end of the fight? When when fatigue setting in, you can see they're tired. You'll know you're hurting. You know you're burning inside. What gives you the motivation to, to kick on? Because they are the championship rounds, and you might need that. My motivation? Yeah. I turn to my corners, or I think of my children. My children, definitely, my children would have to be my number one motivation because of the pain they've seen me go through. Mm. And one last thing I wanted to ask you about, Mia, is I... I've been a boxing fan my whole life. I've watched God knows how many fights. And I've always thought one thing that will stop a fighter from getting to that next level, I feel like there's so much emphasis on attack, on combinations, and not enough emphasis on defense. And, you know, move, don't move straight back. Move back on 45, head movement, um, feints, all that sort of thing. How much work do you put into defense? A lot, a lot. It's not as... A good defense and a good attack sense is just—it's the same. We treat it the same. So, yeah, we work a lot on defense as well. I'm not constantly. So when we're, when I'm on attack, it is all about focusing on defense while we're on attack as well. That's awesome because I don't like seeing my fighters I'm cheering for getting hit. So I'm pleased you're working on on defense, Mia, because I will be yeah, watching all the time. That's the spirit. and counter attack. I like counter punches too. Oh, yeah, so do I. <laughs> oh, you're my kind of boxer. This is good. This is good. Hey, listen, I, I really appreciate you chatting to us. I'm so delighted that you've got a shot. Um, you're more experienced than the opponent, but um, she looks strong. She's uh, she's ripped. She's got a powerful punch, but she she don't, I, no one will have the motivation that you will have in front of your family, your friends, your stable mates, your wider whanau in New Zealand behind you here in Auckland for this world title fight. Congratulations on getting it done. Congratulations on what you've achieved so far. And we wish you all the very best. Can't wait to follow your journey. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, she is. Mia Motu, uh, world title fight in April, taking on Tanya Waters out of Canada, who's only had four fights herself now. It's a vacant super bantamweight belt, which was relinquished by, I think it was a Czech fighter in 2019. She relinquished it, went to another organisation. So the IBO are resurrecting... Um, resurrecting that and they've selected Miyamoto and Tanya Walters to fight for it. I don't know if the date has exactly been set yet or the venue or how we're going to view it but um, Dean Lonergan I think is behind the promotion so you can guarantee it'll be it'll be a wonderful, wonderful event so we wish her all the very best for that and I'm sure they will have a pretty good supporting card as well because Isaac Peach has a good stable he's a good trainer, they're a humble group and um Take the time to go and research Mia Motu's backstory. It is, what could you say? It's quite scary what she's been through, to be perfectly honest. It's quite scary from the age of 17 um, for a number of years, right back to 
living in her car with two kids. Um, she's quite graphic with the details of the abuse she she copped. So do a little Google search on MEA is her first name and M-O-T-U, Motu is her surname. And we will follow um, her journey with interest as she competes for the IBO Super Bantamweight World Title here in Auckland in April. Yep, we will keep you up to date when Mia Motu's fight will take place, but it is April. I see on the IBO website it's down as 30th of March, but I'm pretty sure it's April. Um, but do go and do a background check on um, what she's been through. Um, there's a couple of good stories out there about her her background and what inspires her. It's fantastic. Ken's text in and said, Staffy, I've donated to the Red Cross for Cyclone Fund. Just the best thing to do. I agree, Ken. And if you're within Kiwi of anyone that's been affected, um, just turn up with your shovel and a broom and a, and a garden sack that, that you can just help get rid of some stuff as well. It's a, it's a very good thing to do. Um, news coming out today. It was rumoured yesterday that Danny Lee is signing on with Live Golf. Um, I think that's a done deal. There's three golfers that ha- have gone over. I'm interested in, for people getting a pretty good insight on the full swing documentary. Um, don't want to do it. Well, a spoiler alert. Uh, they do cover uh, Brooks Kepka and Ian Poulter's reasons for going. Really keen on your views on players who are signing to join on. And I've always said, you put yourself in that position, would you go? And I think pretty universally people potentially would, particularly people like Brooks Kepka, whose game has just completely fallen away, but he's still a name. He's won majors. Ian Poulter, who to me is the definition of uh, Ryder Cup. And then our own Danny Lee, who he pops up once or twice a year on a leaderboard. He's won once. I think, from memory, uh, the Greater Greensboro Open, was it? I think. Um, but he's one month handy golfer. He's ranked over 200. He's probably on the brink of losing his PGA Tour card. And then Live Golf come along, and they will have a pretty big check for him to go and join their team. And I see he's joining Kevin Nas team, so I don't imagine it's going to be one of the stronger teams when you've got Phil and Dustin and Cam Smith and all, and all of that. Um, so, yeah, keen on people's thoughts on the live golf. It's not really a player drain, but it's a player option. And I'm not surprised Danny Lee's going, Sammy. He, he's he's the prime type of guy to go. Well, we had a good conversation in the office this morning. Uh, and I might want to jump in on this, given he had, uh, he had some thoughts. But um, <laughs> it's 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 so interesting, eh? Like, I can see so many different sides to this whole live golf thing. The, fir- the first one is, and this is probably what is going to talk about, is why do we begrudge people from, like, the players in particular? Why do we go after them when they're simply making a decision that's going to change their life financially? Mm. You know, millions of dollars, way more than they're going to get playing on the PGA. For a lot of them, it's guaranteed money that they, they certainly aren't going to get on the PGA. And when you talk about guys like Danny Lee, like you said, he's not, he's not winning tournaments left and right. He's not the best in the world. Why wouldn't you go to the league that's going to pay you 10 times as much? Mm. And we seem to like begrudge the players for making that decision, mm. which is quite an interesting societal thing. That was sort of, yeah, that's what I was saying this morning was uh, if the if the tournament itself doesn't sit right with you, that's one thing, but going a player for what is going to be generational wealth for a lot of these guys, you know, and everybody has all of these uh, opinions and, the, you know, 
I wouldn't stand for this, I would stand for this. But you haven't been waived the amount of cash that these people are. This is your children, your grandchildren. Don't have to worry about anyone's opinion of them for the next three generations because you've made that amount of money. So it's all good for us to sit here and say, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. We all have things in our job that we don't like the way that things run. You know, I can't stand staff. But <laughs> that's what the money's for, you know. <laughs> that's why they pay you the, the dollars. And if you're just a mercenary golf player, like, it's not on you to make judgment calls. What did Charles Barkley say when they were saying he's not a, a good role model? He's like, I'm not raising your kids. Like, I just, yeah. <laughs> I dunk a basketball and yeah. I do it better than anyone else. So pay me, watch me. And, and, there, and, and there is like there is hypocrisy in it, staff, because not only you know are the golf events played in like Saudi and and the and Arab Emirates etc., which we don't bat an eyelid at, but even the people that are very very anti live golf, you know, where does the buck stop? Like the clothes that you're wearing on your back were probably made in a sweatshop in Bangladesh. You know what I mean? And the media company that you work for, you know, has got ties to some bad operation somewhere or CEO who's done terrible things. It's like. It's so funny how society loves to just pick and choose these sorts of um, causes to, to throw the pitchforks at. And mm. we've said, like, in 10 years' time, no one's going to think twice about it. I mean, Newcastle United, there was a big furore over them being bought by Saudi owners and even the fans were sort of very anti it. That's almost disappeared now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, in 10 years' time, we'll almost just completely forget about it. And what they've done is they've put Greg Norman as the face of the brand. Most of the events are around Europe and the USA. That's coming to Australia, you mentioned this morning. The only thing Saudi about it is, is the money behind it. You know what I mean? Like, it's very not It's not front of mind that it's a Saudi league, aside from the fact that the journalists are covering it every single day. That's what's mm. making everyone think about it. And I was thinking this morning, if Ian Poulter, they made the offer to Ian Poulter, and he said, no, I'm not going because of your human, human rights atrocities and your record. And they go, okay, cool. You stay on the PGA too, and we'll go get someone else. It won't make a scary difference if Ian Poulter makes a human rights stand against Liv and says, I'm not joining you because of human rights. That will not improve the human rights. It's not done through mm. a offshoot golf um, association setting up golf tournaments has no impact on human rights. Lydia Ko won in Saudi Arabia in the weekend. I said, I said yesterday, I watched the tour of Saudi Arabia cycling. It was fast. I'd never seen the countryside in Saudi Arabia. It was amazing. Mm. I'm not saying I like Saudi Arabia and all their atrocities, but it was amazing. Yeah, the, the countryside. Yeah, yeah. It's it's you know, and the PGA. Let's be honest. They absolutely cash in on the players that they have playing in that tournament. Like the fact that half of them don't get paid, yet the amount of money that those players bring in by being at a tournament and the, the TV coverage and the, the broadcast rights, etc. I mean, the PGA it, it makes absolute bank off of the players. Mm. And this to me is just the players saying, well, we, we know what we're worth and we're going to go. And it's sort of like the CBA and the NRL. They sort of just almost in a way making a stand towards... I should be the one that gets the money because I'm the one that's playing the golf and doing the job, you know. Mm. And I know the PJ guys still get they still get a lot of money. Let's not, you know, br brush over that. They get mm. millions for winning a tournament, but comparative to what the PGA brings in as an organization, it's it's pennies. And so, Ian Poulter mentioned on the US PGA tour, he leaves his house and his wife and his kids for a week and misses the cut and goes home. Didn't make sense. 
Yeah. No, sorry about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and think about the caddies as well. Like, And this is all coming up now for us, Steph, because we're watching full swing and absolutely loving it. And I watched the Joel Damon one last night. Fantastic. So good. And and his caddy, you know, his caddy talks about how he gets paid, I think, did he say 1000 bucks for a week or something? 2000 a week and 5% of winnings. Yeah. yeah, 2000 a week, that covers the costs. So he has to pay for his own probably travel accommodation, accommodation, travel, et cetera. And then he gets, yeah, 5% of the winnings. So if the guy you're caddying for doesn't make the cut, you as the caddy, not a, you know, you get nothing. Yeah. And even if he wins, like you think about Joel Damon, so not to ru- well ruin it, but some people will know anyway. He won, he came tenth in the U.S. Open last year. He won four hundred grand. So if you save five percent of that, it's twenty grand for the caddy. Now, if he only does that three times a year, that's a standard wage in New Zealand. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's yeah. I, I don't. Um, as Manai sort of made the point, I, I don't begrudge someone for making a decision like that, financial decision for their family and setting them up for generations. Giggs just texts through saying, live golf is a typical tall poppy situation. Yes, in, in, in a number of ways. It's not going to go away. Has it forced the PGA to change in any way? Uh, not yet. No. But, well, except that they've taken the PGA tickets off Cam mm. Smith, Dustin Johnson, so they can't play in PGA-sanctioned events, but they can still play majors, which we talked to Bruce about yesterday. Yeah. Probably not Ryder Cups, though. So it's it's changing. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if the PGA does sort of adjust any of their own sort of rules and regulations to try and keep people there. Like, oh, we'll give you more money or we'll see, guarantee, think, guarantee money to people who don't make the cut, you know? I think in time a model that would work is live golf is to golf what the IPL is to cricket. Yep. And they ring fence it and say you can do your live golf for for – July and August, mm-hmm. and we'll do PGA around that, European Tour around that. Lift Golf aren't going anywhere. They won't buckle. They will not buckle. Anyway, new sport and weather with Johnny Mack. Uh, when we come back, we'll catch up with someone from the TAB. Just go on 1.35. Joining us now, tab.co.nz or the app. Download, download the app. It's easier. Then you don't have to keep typing in the website address. So get that app. Go to the Punters Lounge. Find out what's good. Find where the specials are, the live betting, the whole thing. Boosted odds are there. Pip Morris from the TAB. G'day, Pip. G'day, Steffi. How are you this afternoon? Very good. Are there any Opawas going around today? <laughs> there is. Opawa Linda. Dollar eighty-five for short, which is a multi in race nine. <laughs> and I would multi her up with a dog in the previous. I've got a dog's name right today. Jerome Bale, 140 into 130. That's my multi. Race eight into race nine. That's only half an hour away, Pip. It is. We yep, could, we could, we could, just wondering if we could potentially play it. I wonder if we could potentially play it on air. Tell me them again. It's Jerome Bale. Jerome Bale, yep, in race eight into a power linda in race number nine. Okay. God, they're short. But you multi, short, multi, you multi them up, it makes it a little bit better, doesn't it? It does, yep. All right. Sports-wise, what are we going to have a look at today? On the ICC, Scotland's the best back up against Nepal at a dollar fifty-seven. The England women are taking fifty-eight percent of the bets at a dollar oh five against Pakistan at nine dollars. Outright for Champion League, Man City best back at two eighty-seven, followed by PSG at nineteen dollars. And then the R16 power play best back is Liverpool and Napoli to both win at both halves at fifty-three dollars. Phoenix, the best back so far for the weekend, up against the Mariners at $3.50. And the Black Caps up against England. Broad, the favourite option so far, head-to-head at $4.15. And again, he's really always popular, is Devin Conway for the top run scorer at $4, followed closely by Tom Latham. 
Geez, now I, I'm good at navigating the TAB website, but I just couldn't keep up with you there. You're just flying. Look at I'm you. Fine, you don't <laughs> just that cricket. Could you just mention the New Zealand England one again? The draws four fifteen. Apparently, there's weather in the forecast, but England generally only need three three and a half days to win it. So, what, did you say draw four fifteen? What were the others? And the New Zealand top run score best back Stephen Conway at fours, followed uh-huh. by Tom Latham at five dollars. Stephen Conway is always the most popular when it comes to the head to head, as far as that uh, run score goes. Rightly so, rightly so. Pip, you have a fantastic day. And that little that little greyhound multi, oh, God, I had it here. Here it is. The little greyhound, it's not actually too bad. It's $2.40 if you multi those two shorts together. Yes, I don't mind that. I think they're both morals. So take the two thirty. Hopefully they are, and you can put it on maybe the cricket later on. Deal, deal. Nice. <laughs> Pip, thanks, mate. You too. See you, Steph. See ya. Pip Morris there from the TAB. Uh, do it responsibly. Do it with an open mind. Be 18 years old. All of those all of those things, but it is a lot of fun. Actually, if I chuck if I chuck England into those two greyhounds as well, what does that do to my multi? Chuck England in. Now we're at 447. This is how you build multis. This is how you build multis. So there you go. I'm going to keep an eye on those two greyhounds that Pip just gave us. If you missed them, it is race eight, Jerome Bale. Number three, <clears throat> race nine, number three, Opawalinda. So the two white rugs, Jerome Bale and Opawalinda. Start your multis off on the day with that. And I do like England at $1.86, even with weather around. They don't need five whole days. Was that 15 sessions? They probably only need nine or 10 sessions. Um, they're in rare form. We'll take a break. After this, we'll find out what's making news around the globe. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent. And a horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world? <laughs> I, I'm very disappointed in uh, a certain news organisation, beginning with S. Yes. Um, because I, I got sucked in to an article, um, and look, please forgive me here, I am not, I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, and, and my heart does go out for everyone affected by the cyclone, but it was a, a headline that said, what kind of storm would it take to blow over the Sky Tower? Oh, God. And I just had to click on that, because I need to know what sort of winds we're dealing with in order to blow, because it's a big building, um, and... So I remember going inside it years and years ago and they show you how they did all the foundations and everything. It's pretty solid. Mm. And I was so disappointed because this article didn't tell me what kind of storm it would take. It just simply said that it can handle um, a one in 1,000 year storm. And they always talk about this when they're talking about storms. One, It's a one in 100. It's a one in 500. That's like their scale is how, you know, frequent it happens Um, infrequent supposedly though uh, the sky tower is rated to go undamaged if the winds get up to 200 k's an hour and we got about 140 I think max with gusted 140 it's about close to 200 for my liking now but apparently we've had the the, the highest wind ever recorded in New Zealand was 204 and that was in Manukau or Manukau um, like years and years ago so but this is saying it goes basically undamaged at 200, but I, I can't tell you how high it needs to go to, mm. to shake the foundations of the Sky Tower. Monica is probably way too close for 204. <laughs> I was going to say, when you said it, you know, the record was higher than the threshold, I thought you were going to say it was in central Otago. But, but it's not the threshold, though. That's the thing. They're just saying that it's like, 
it can go undamaged in, in 200k. So Whereas it's 204, we're starting to see cracks. Maybe, maybe if you, maybe a bit of sway, maybe a bit of sway. Have I, you ever been to Tapapa and looked at the? Uh, you can go underground and look at their piles the and their foundations. Yeah. I, I think I, if it wasn't Te Papa, I did that at um, Parliament. But maybe it was Te Papa. It's on, yeah. it's on rubber things. Yeah, yeah, that moving. Yeah. So the TAB head office in Petone, mm. same same type of construction. You can get the mildest earthquake in Wellington. They have quite a few. You feel like you're in an eight on the Richter scale because it just shakes, really? rattles, and rocks. But it will but not designed, come down. But it's designed to do that. Yeah, it's designed to be really wobbly. I, I am like obviously terrified of heights, and I hate standing up in the sky tower on the glass <laughs> thing, but. Imagine if you were up there and you just got a little sway, like just a just a gentle sway. How freaked out that would make you being up that high. I used to work with a guy when I poured concrete, uh, whose claim to fame was that he poured some of the concrete in the sky tower. That's a great claim to fame. Um, nothing, did nothing he, will make you it? more scared of heights than having met this guy <laughs> <laughs> and then going up the lift to the sky tower. Wow! Did he did he even handprint or anything like his initials into the? He lived in a caravan, uh, sorry, camper van down by the um, Tamuka River. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Um, shout out to Steve. Hey, Good on you, Steve. Steve. The typical office building is built for a one in five hundred year storm. Just so you know, Steph. Um, now, what's worse? What do you think would be worse for you if you were an actor? Would it be worse to go to an awards evening, let's say the BAFTAs, because that's what the story is about, but it could be the Golden Globes, and thinking that you're really in line for an award, you've, you've done the performance of your life, you've never won one before, and you think, this is the year I'm going to get it, and you don't get it, and the feeling of that, or being announced as the winner, and they stuff up the name, it's not actually you. Oh, no. <laughs> I remember they did that in Miss Universe once, very famous. Oh yeah, that's video. right. It was named the wrong winner. That's right. Yeah, it was, it was um, Steve Harvey. Yeah, yeah and he Steve goes, Harvey. Sorry, 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 they've given me the wrong thing. Yeah. take that crown off and put it on her. I know. Why? Oh, that was embarrassing. Well, this happened at the Baftas. So uh, I don't know these two actors, actresses. Sorry. So please um, enlighten me, Steph, if you know. Um, is it Carrie Mulligan or Kerry Mulligan? And then there's Kerry Condon. So there's two. Quite Kerry close. and Carrie, they're, they're spelt differently. Um, One's an actress and one uh, commentates the breakers. Troy Kotzer, who won Best Supporting Actor at last year's ceremony, introduced the nominees alongside a sign language interpreter. And it's that, and so I'm assuming he maybe has a condition himself because it's, un, it's unsure as to whether or not it was Troy's fault or the interpreter's fault uh-huh. feeding in the information. Um, but anyway, he announced Carrie as the winner, but when it was actually, sorry, Carrie is the one it was supposed to be Carrie. I feel like that's worse than just missing out on an award you think you're going to win yes, as being is. announced. It and is worse. You know? And just you don't get it. Oh, it's, it's like a kick in the face. for 15 seconds. Yeah. It's worse because you f- you get the feeling of having won exactly it. Exactly what I mean. It's like how quickly did he correct himself? It's been like a good 10 seconds. You're probably already starting to get up out of your chair. Probably a couple of hugs and kisses. You know, the camera's coming on you straight away, Steph. Mm. It's, yeah, it's sort of a defeat. I've always thought in that situation... Just go with it. Just be like, yep, they Zoolan- won. Is it Zoolander? Where he just gets up, like... Maybe. But then, like, the next day, they'll be like, oh, actually, sorry. Don't do that whole thing on stage. Yeah. <laughs> the next day, but like, oh, actually, clerical error, it was this person. That's with the Steve Harvey one. I was like, why didn't they just sort that out behind closed doors? Like, he made it a lot worse by saying it all live. I think it was Zoolander where it's, like, the number one male model, and it's like, he announces it, Hansel, but he gets up thinking that it's his name. He walks right up to the front, and he, like, starts his speech. So I just reckon, yeah, go with it, run with it, see what happens. And uh, finally, um, personalised plates. Ever, ever considered it? No. Nah. Waste of money? I just think it's naff. Okay, well, waste of money. I don't mind it, I don't mind it for a business advertising their business. Yeah, okay. Their business, yeah? Yeah, their business. Um, like, 
brooms or or yep. fence yep. or something like yep. that. Yeah, or like I suck up if you like do plumbing or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Know? Yeah. Um, Manai, <laughs> personalised plates, your thoughts? I can't go them. No. I cannot go them at all. Uh, my mate's mum bought him a set of personalised plates with his nickname on them. Oh, dear. He just, <laughs> has, you know, <laughs> been so thankful, but they've never made their way onto his car. I think the there's w- someone in Wellington with a red RX7 with the personalised plate staff, <laughs> and they used to park by the TAB building. Wow. People say, I'll oh, park next to you today, and like, I didn't drive to work. Do you, yes, know, you did. do you know what I think the worst one is? The most naff one is when, like, a husband or wife buys a car for their partner and just puts, like, Manaya's car or, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think it's, like, cute or, like... Mm. It's just really not... Anyway, I can tell you that uh, someone has dropped $5.2 million on a particular personalised plate in Hong Kong, and it is simply the letter R. And apparently that's really, really sought after um, because in Chinese fortune telling, R is believed to be lucky. Mm. So this person's forked out $5.2 million for it. It's also thought to be in demand um, because of its connection to motorsport. Many of the world's most coveted race cars and performance cars have an emblazoned, often red R in their name. Mm. Um, So that's why. It's not the most expensive of all time. The most expensive of all time comes from the United Arab Emirates, of course, uh, where that one sold for $20 million. <laughs> oh, and that was the number plate, just the number one. Number one. Number one, just one. Because isn't number eight lucky in Chinese culture? I Is think it eight number eight. Or seven? No, I think it's eight. I think okay. it's eight, yeah. Yeah. yeah, lucky and eight, yeah. So if you go for a walk around Sky City Casino, all the Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, four wheel drives all have eights oh, in their number plates. Wow, well, that's a great fact. Mm. In fact, that's almost fact of the day. I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to read out my one. Because my one's just that a crocodile can't stick its tongue out. <laughs> Which is true, but I prefer the eights, the eights thing. Now that I know what it means, yeah, it you is. do see a lot of Audis just with all eights across the number plate. Yeah, I was going to say that that number one. What did that get sold for? Uh, Twenty mil to someone in Saudi Arabia. Correct. Shouldn't uh, be allowed to play. Shouldn't be allowed to play in the PGA Tour. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. Um, Ken, he worked pouring concrete at Sky Tower in '94. It was great big days, like 14 hours. Ken. Ken and what was your mate in... Uh, Steve. Ken, do you know Steve from Tabuka? Long hair, <laughs> pointy goatee. Lived in a caravan. That's probably a lot of concrete pourers. Shout out to them. Yeah, jeez. Iconic, iconic. Um, get your text in. Temper Bear Post text screens all of, always available for you. It is double eight double three. Had a couple of texts in about Live Golf, actually. If you want to join in that, I'll get to them after the break. A couple of news stories. We were talking about Danny Lee going to live golf. The other two that are joining him is Thomas Peters, who's from the DP World Tour, world number 34, and American PGA player Brendan Steele. He had a, he had a run of form maybe five or six years ago. Um, he hasn't really bothered the scorer since without doing any research. He's not one of the big names. So these are the guys they're picking up. These are the ones they're picking up, uh, new ones. I know they've uh, been approaching a few... Um, college golfers with promising PGA careers and signing them on for like a million dollars because they ain't got PGA Tour cards yet, but they're being identified as players of the future. Um, Fascinating stuff. And the other story that's just come out is Leon McDonald is in talks with Scotland to coach Scotland after the World Cup. Of course, Gregor Townsend, is um, his contract expires uh, after the World Cup. Um, so he is in talks. Now, whether that's a play, a negotiation ploy, 
Um, but it says um, he's had talks to take over as Scotland's coach. And when we heard that, we're led to believe and we're made to guess and speculate because no one ever tells us anything, that he was part of Scott Robertson's uh, coaching setup to take over the All Blacks after the World Cup. Um, as Ken's actually, I've just seen a text message from Ken saying it doesn't look good for Razor. So maybe Leon knows that Razor's not going to get the All Blacks coaching job, so he can't be his assistant, so I'll find something else. How does that make you feel? Again, we're just left to speculate. We might be wasting fuel and energy and headspace on all of that, but um, the word of rugby coaching, never known it to be talked about as much as it has been in the last year or so. Anyway, we're coming up to 2 o'clock straight after 2. Brad Walder, NRL.com senior writer, will preview the league season. Yes, another tune by Mike and the Mechanics. You'll find out why in about 20 minutes, why we're playing Mike and the Mechanics. Anyway, the NRL is knocking, knocking, knocking. I've been devouring a lot of the pre-season matches, particularly the Warriors one. And a man who just covers it so, so well for NRL.com. He's the senior writer there. Brad Walter joins the show now. G'day, Brad. Yeah, how are you, Stephen? Good, mate. Um, What have you made of the pre-season and new recruits and uh, transfers Form. How how has this year's preseason stacked up to previous uh, previous years? Do you think? Well, I think that I think that we're heading into round one next weekend, where we pretty much have a good idea of um, of of the rosters that the clubs are going to field. I feel like that you know most clubs treated the first week of the preseason where they played a lot of um, you know fringe players or guys they wanted to have a look at. They experimented a fair bit. And then I think last weekend um, we saw closer to probably the rosters that the um, that the teams are thinking of or the coaches are thinking of um, of using in round one. So I think we've got a, a fair idea of what the teams are going to look like. Um, you know, there's not too much mystery around uh, around size now, and, and I just it felt like yeah, that was the last weekend was like the, that that hit out to just finalise preparations for for all the teams. I'll have a uh, this weekend off, and then. Uh, it all starts next uh, Thursday when the Eels take on the Storm. Talk to me about Penrith. Um, they lost a couple of very crucial players in the transfer market, and now they've just lost um, May to a season-ending injury, which is tragic for him, uh, first and foremost, and another a pretty serious loss for Penrith. I feel like even before a game's been played, in the NRL regular season, they're not as warm a favourite for me to win a title as they were the previous two years. Yeah, and I think even I reckon if you went back to before the preseason um, tournament, or cha- the preseason uh, challenge, um, it, pretty it was like it was who's going to beat Penrith, and I think now, um, yeah, maybe maybe um, they come back to the field a little bit. Um, we knew that they'd lost um, uh, Viliami Kikau and. Happy uh, Coruscant from their team, um, you know, to, to other clubs this season. We knew that would have an impact, but I think probably what we've seen in the last two weeks, and particularly against, um, a, you know, a, a really good team in St. Helens, is that um, they haven't replaced those players with, you know, like for like, with 
you know, like um, Luke Garner is, is a good player, and Mitch Penny is uh, has been there sort of as the understudy to, to Coruscant um, for a couple of seasons, but they're not at the same level. They're not the they're, you know they're not going to have the same impact. So that obviously does um, uh, does bring the Panthers back to the field a little bit, and then. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, the injury to Taylor and May did his ACL all the other night throughout the season. Um, that's a huge blow. He scored 16 tries, I think, uh, or maybe 18 tries in 22 games last year uh, for Penrith. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a, a try-scoring winger um, who's out. Um, they may uh, they may now have to look at mo- maybe moving Brian To'o back um, back onto. Um, May side of the field onto the onto the left side left edge there, um, so you know you know there's there's a bit of work for for Penrith to do to be honest coming out of uh, that game on the weekend even though look I mean they lost 13 12 to St Helens who've won four grand finals in a row over in the Super League so very, and was were absolutely stacked with uh, England internationals so they lost to a, a very good club side in, in what was a really really good match but yeah they just sort of a bit of a, a bit of a sense that. Penrith's got a bit of work to do, and then then they're maybe not as uh, potent as what they had been in in previous seasons. But um, you know, they, look, they're they're a great club. They've got a lot of good players coming through, uh, and people will get the opportunity to step out, step up. I've got no doubt that um, they'll improve as the season goes on as well. But um, yeah, but maybe you know, maybe they are a little bit back to the field. One team I wanted to ask you about, and I'm going to have a very interesting watch on them this season is. Canary Bankstown Bulldogs haven't made the eight for six seasons. And before that, they were about seventh as well. They won it in 2012. So a long, long time since the top of one of the more powerful, storied, historical clubs. Um, And they look like they're building from the bottom up. So the last three years, they were 15th. Then they were wooden spooners. Last year, 12th. What sort of run could they make? Well, so... There's no doubt that they're building. That's for one. They're building, and it's a plan to continue to improve. And they've recruited. Um, they've recruited well, but um, but but I, you know whether or not they can make the eight this season, I'm not. Like I think they'll they'll go close. Um, they might scrape in, or they they might miss out. I don't think they're going to do much more because like just and if I can just try to go through their roster off the off the top of my head uh, in some detail, they've picked up um, Kikau. From the Bulldogs, uh, from from the Panthers, he's going to make a huge difference in terms of strike power on that left edge. He's going to play out on the same side of the field as um, as Matt Burton and Josh Adokar, and, and they they formed a really um, lethal uh, combination for the Bulldogs last season. That was really where most of their attack came from. Uh, and they picked up uh, Reed Marnie, the Parramatta hooker, and that's an area where Canterbury have really struggled, I think, since probably when Michael Ennis left the club. Um, you know, way back in. 2015 or 16. Um, so for quite some time, um, they haven't had a top rate, a top uh, top line hooker, um, an established top line hooker. Um, so they do there now. Um, their forward depth maybe isn't as good as what it had been in the past, but um, but but it's certainly pretty strong. But look, the back line to me, you know, I said so. There's Matt Matt Burton, um, five eight, playing five eight. Um, he look, you know, he's come from Penrith. He's his first year at. Canterbury last year, he played State of Origin and he played for Australia um, at the World Cup. But like uh, in both occasions, he was um, he played as a centre and he played as 
Penrith, as a centre, although he's a natural um, playmaker, a 5'8", and he's no doubt the, the, the key playmaker that they've got. And they've got Adekaro on the wing, and he's, we all know he's one of the great uh, wingers of the, of the modern era. But the rest of their back line, it's like Jake, uh, Jake Avrillo has been playing uh, pretty much every position across the back line. He may or may not be uh, the starting fullback. Um, he's a young guy with about 50 first-grade games, but like, what is his position? Kyle Flanagan, there's been huge question marks about uh, about him uh, in his future at the Bulldogs um, uh, for pretty much for the last two seasons. Um, so is he their long-term halfback? Do they see him as they, you know, they're going to stick with him? Um, how, you know, is he the answer uh, in in that role? Um, that's to be decided. Um, you know, we'll, I suppose we'll find out a lot more as the season goes on. And then, like in in the centres, they've got um, um, uh, Paul Amoroso, uh, who's a really highly regarded young kid. He's 18 years of age. Hasn't played an NRL match. Uh, you know, he, I've got no doubt he'll play in round one and um, and he's got a bright future, like I said, but he's never played an NRL match. So that'll be his debut. And Braden Burns is um, is probably the other um, centre. And, um, you know, Braden's been around for a while, but, you know, where does he... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure that he fits in the... You know, certainly the top echelon of, of centres. Um, you know, he's not a representative class player. So... The back line um, is pretty is pretty light on, you know. Um, you know, Jacob Kraus is, is, is playing on the wing, who was uh, would have been the rookie of the of the year last year if it wasn't for the uh, outstanding form of uh, Jeremiah uh, Nanai. So, um, yeah, I think um, you know, I just think yeah that people are getting excited about about the Panthers, and they, there's no doubt that they are building. Um, Stephen Crichton's coming in 2024, 20, but he's not going to be there uh, this season. So. Um, yeah, I think I think um, people's expectations of the Bulldogs need to be need to be a bit tempered. I have to ask you about the Warriors, of course. You're, you're beaming out over Australia and New Zealand. Um, and I look back, Warriors' first season, they came tenth out of twenty teams, which isn't too bad. I think we'd take tenth this year, uh, Brad. Can we achieve tenth? I think so. Yeah, I think that's there's there's more than you know that's more than. Um, uh, a reasonable expectation. I think it's good that maybe expectations are, are tempered a bit. There seems, you know, there's often been with the Warriors, like they win a couple of games and everyone thinks they're going to win the comp. Um, they lose a couple of games and everyone's wanting to sack the coach or, um, you know, rip, rip the place apart. So I think, um, you know, the, the expectations need to be realistic. And if they were to make the finals this year, that would be a great, you know, that would be a really good result. Um, yeah, you'd like to see them sort of sitting up there around that, uh, you know, close to the top eight. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, you know, people shouldn't get carried away. But, I think, you know, I've got a good coach in Andrew Webster. He's come out of a really good system at Penrith. He's he's, he's highly regarded. He's renowned for, um, um, you know, his work in defence uh, as well. Um, and I think that's an area that he's probably going to focus on, he's focusing on at the Warriors. Um, and, you know, they've recruited well. Um, they've recruited well, but they, they've um, and they've probably been one of the big players in the in the recruitment market. But they haven't gone out and and they're not haven't been signing like you know marquee signings. They've just been building the depth and the strength of the overall squad, and that's probably something that's 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 lacked in the in, in recent seasons. Um, you know, and due largely to the fact that you know the instability and the uncertainty about where the club was going to be um, was going to be based and where they were playing. I've got no doubt that when they play at home that, that, you know, after being away for so long, um, that they're going to lift um, and they're going to perform and 
they're going to have a lot of support behind them. Um, you know, but they may struggle a bit, a bit on the road. You know, it's something they're going to have to come to terms with. It, it, now is is the back and forth every every um every week. You know, of, of playing playing a home game and playing a playing a, an away game in Australia, and, and um you know just be you know their recovery and their preparation and just the impact that the travel um, will have on them. It's something that they haven't had to deal with for, for a few years, but the upside is that they are going to be at home every second week and um, and they will have some great support behind them. How important Sean Johnson stands up this year, which <clears throat> potentially will be his last season. Um, there's been quite a bit of criticism for his performance in their final game against Melbourne Storm. About half the errors were, were him. Um, but really, someone said, you know, he doesn't fire up for pre-season. He'll be fine regular season. He's an important cog. Of course, he's an important... He's definitely an important cog in the Warriors' side. But I think that, you know, like, the team isn't going to revolve just around Sean, you know? Like, um, you know, they're, 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 there's, there's quite a few um, young playmakers uh, at the club this season. Um, and, they're, you know, I just think the Warriors are, um, you know... They're looking. They're, I suppose they're looking at life after Sean, and they're also looking to make sure that they're not, um, you know, that they're not relying uh, solely on on Sean. But he is a key player uh, for the for the club, you know, and um, and they'll be looking, uh, you know, obviously, but no doubt, if, um, for the Warriors to do well this season, they're going to need Sean Johnson to to, to stand up and, and and to fire on a regular basis. Um, but like I said, it's, I don't think it's going to completely revolve around. Um, Sean, I think those expectations and that pressure will be uh, eased off him a, a bit. It's a bit real pity the injury to Luke. Nick Harkey looks fantastic in that um, that opening trial, but you know there, there are other options at the club as well. So um, I think the depth, the depth um, to me, just the Warriors just look um, they look they, they've got greater depth than they've had in, in recent seasons, and you know um, they, they'll be able to cope with you know injuries and they'll be able to. Um, you know, for the former players, um, you know, they'll be able to make selection decisions and, and change change the team around from week to week if they need to. Brad Rolder, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for chatting. Hey, no worries. No, pleasure talking to you. Brad Wilder, NRL.com senior writer, wonderful writer, understander of the game, and we will no doubt catch up with him as the season progresses. Now stick around. After the break... Haven't done it for a wee while because uh, Cyclone Gabriel threw carnage across of all of our programming. We're resuming our normal Tuesday. It's Draft Day Tuesday after the break. Time. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. And now, coming to you from Stanley Street Studios, we're not really with a strand. Yeah, the strand Parnell. The strand Parnell yeah. Studios. It's Draft Day Tuesday. Draft Day Tuesday. And uh, who came up with the subject today? I think it was you. Was it? I don't know. We were throwing a lot around. It was a lot. It was a lot of ingredients in the pot, and uh, this one seems to have bubbled to the surface because it is actually Michael McIntyre's birthday today. Who we are both big fans of. Yes. Um, great comedian. I think he's coming to Auckland actually. Spark Arena. He's I've been seen, before. I've seen the big banner. I've Must seen the big banner. Again. I think in March. So we thought today for draft day, let's just do a draft day of Michaels. Okay. There's a lot out there, Steph and Manaya. A lot mm-hmm. of big, a lot of big Michaels. A lot of big time Michaels. I just thought of another one. Yeah, so did I. Did you? Better not be Michael McIntyre. <laughs> no, it's not. 
Okay, so... Uh, I reckon I've just thought of the same one as Manaya. I reckon there's mm. money on it that we just both thought of the same is one. Is that because I said Big Michael? Is there a Big Michael? Potentially. Uh, is that the guy who won American Idol? Anyway, um... Oh, you just made who, me think of another What's one. the order? Same here. Oh, jeez, I've completely lost what the order is. Yeah, I do too. I know... Okay, personally, I know... We did, we've done two weeks of it when I've been here. You went first one time, Kez went first the other time. However, I know you've been doing it since I've been away. Spinning. So I'm going to leave it up to you guys as to who's going to go first. I think Manai's first, you're second, and I'll go third. Okay. Sure. Now, we're trying to draft the best team we can, aren't we? You're trying yes. to draft the team that people look at and go, man, he those are the best That's Michaels. That's a group of Michaels. That's so a great group of Michaels. If you're going to take one, the most famous one, I'm going to take Michael Jordan. Oh, boo. We, can't, we cannot have a draft of Michaels and have him not go number one. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I've, ta- I've taken one on the chin for you guys. I'm sure you've got some more creative ones, but Michael Jordan has to be number one. What if, like, can I take Michael B. Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to. And, uh, yeah, we just uh, we won't um, specify. Um, nah, well, look, um, I think equally as famous staff, and you know that I'm a massive Formula One fan, you've got to put Michael Schumacher mm. number one for me. Um, That's yeah. two on my list with the lines and through just, now. Uh, and yeah. I'm just picking him solely for pace. I'm going to round out my team with other picks, but he's just a pace man up and down the court all day. <laughs> Happy with the pick. Mm. Mark Stafford. Uh, the first thing when you've got a big team of Mike's you need security, I'm going Mike Tyson. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fair. And you're a big boxing guy. This is very on brand for us three, actually. It's gone, first chalk. Round. It's gone chalk so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Manai. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to change one up. Uh, another heavy hitter into the uh, Here it comes. Into the list. Here it, this is tell the one you've just thought of. Tell hey. me if this is who you were thinking of, Staffy. I've got it written down here, and I won't change it. Yes, go. Michael, Mickey, Mouse. Oh, no. Wow. Not Gee, that is left field. <laughs> Talk us through that one. Is this one of like the European players that no one really knows about? No, no just... this is the Disney character, Mickey Mouse. Uh, <laughs> when you talk about, I mean, how many other people that are going to make any of our teams will have entire uh, theme parks based around them? <laughs> Not even Michael Jordan has That's a theme park. Great call. So I'm going to take Mickey people Mouse. People pay thousands of dollars just to see this guy's branding. I mean, Absolutely. they do the same with Michael Jordan. You've picked, I think you've gone for a team that's going to sell. You know what I mean? It may not, yeah. it's, going play, it's going to play entertaining basketball staff. You know, it's not mm. necessarily going to win games, but they'll right. entertain people. Jordan needs a point guard. Yeah, they, they <laughs> entertain people, right? I, uh, I just feel like this is a massive name. He's got to go. He has to go early in the draft. Um, as much as I'd like to pick other people, um, R.I.P. Michael Jackson. Yeah, got to be it. there. Got to be there. Um, Wacko Jacko. Yeah, big name. Great halftime entertainment. Like all Massive. the play, all the players run off the court. He stays on. He just does your halftime. Yeah. Uh, you save on costs as well. So Michael Jackson number two for me. Okay. Um, might be a little bit controversial here. Dearie me. But my number two player is Magic Mike. Wow, oh. this be the pole dancer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a terrible dancer, and I need to learn off Magic Mike. Okay. He's my number two. Interesting. Okay. I, I, there was one other video I thought you might take, Steph, but anyway. Uh, I oh. need a bit more aggression to balance out Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably a little too tame. Uh, I'm going to go for one you might not have known his first name was Mike. Uh, but Mike Crocodile Dundee. Oh, I had that on my list. I had Mick Dundee. I had Mick Dundee. Yeah, I had Mick Dundee. That's a great pick. Gosh, that's a great pick. I'm, I'm gutted that I missed I, out on I that I think one. Jordan would recognise the, the same fire in his belly. Yeah. Mm. Bring out, he'd bring knives to the party as well. Yeah. Um, there's a lot I'm surprised that haven't gone here. Um, 
look, massive fan of the show, massive fan of the character, and it's controversial because some people don't like him. That's the sort of player I want on my team. A polariser, um, a little bit of a Nick Kyrgios maybe. Give me Michael Scott from The Office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't stand him. Yeah, exactly. Him. Great, fantastic. That's yeah. what I want, Steph. You know, 50% of people hate him, 50% of people love him, 100% people watch him. So mm. bring it. All right, my third one in my uh, top five of mics. I've got a doctor. Ooh. Okay. A scrum doctor, Mike Cron. Ah, wow. yes. That's a popularist vote right there, Steph. Yes, You're targeting you. the audience. Yes. Um, Mike Cron for me. Yeah. So more of a sixth man, you'd say, as opposed to the yep. on court? Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Voice of reason. Yep. Manaya. Uh I know I've already stretched it a little bit by going <laughs> Mick. <laughs> Don't tell me going Mick Jagger. He's going to go Michelle or something, is he? Mikhail? <laughs> Gorbachev? <laughs> Kalashnikov. Mikhail oh. Kalashnikov, inventor famously of the AK-47, subsequently AK-74 as well, the most widely used wow. uh, firearm in the in the world. And when you need firepower and you're starting five, no one brings it quite like Mikhail Kalashnikov. That's fantastic. Is Russian or yes. Belarusian or something? Very Russian, yeah. Okay, sure, as Russian Jesus. as they come, probably up in Siberia. Yep. Um, and backing from the government over there as well. I think so. Manai's playing Moneyball here a little bit, Staff. Like, he's, sure he's, he's a left field, but... They're strong picks. Um, oh, so many left on the list for me. Um, <laughs> Great text. Someone needs to shake things up a bit. <laughs> I do have Michael J. Fox on my extended list. I don't think he makes the starting five. Uh, I'm going to throw out, and there's one really easy pick that I'm just going to avoid for a second here, because I'm going to throw out um, another titan of the fictional industry, mm-hmm. Michael Corleone, son mm. of... The Don, Godfather, uh, star of the second and third film, of course, um, and Al Pacino. Can't get past him, so I'm going to throw Michael Corleone uh, as an intimidator. Gosh. Pick number four. I've got so many that you guys haven't picked that I thought I'd... There's a lot of Michaels, let's be honest. I know. My dad names Michael. There's a lot of them out there. Um, And actually, Ken's text through one that's on my list, and so for you, Ken, we cannot have a top five of Michaels without the Iceman, Sir Michael Jones. Yeah, Mm. it's a good pick. Mm. Strong pick. All right, we go to the, the last pick. Is this the last pick? Yeah. Oh, God, there's so many still left on the board. Michael Campbell, uh, New Zealand Idol runner-up, Michael Murphy. <laughs> uh, Michael Bublé didn't get a run. No, he shouldn't. He's on my list. No, he shouldn't. Mike or Michael Myers, uh, George Michael. I am going to, for <laughs> for a bit of uh, brain power in mind, because I've got some some meatheads in the team, uh, Coach K, the winningest coach in college basketball, Michael Mike Krzyzewski. Krzyzewski, wow. Will be my fifth pick in the... Team of very, very good pick, Don't actually. Um, I got Michael Kane. He's on there. <laughs> I'm not going to pick him, but he's on. He's on the list. Michael Kane. She was only 16. Um, could I go Michael McIntyre? Since I'm a big fan, you one can. glaring omission is Michael Phelps, who is the uh, winningest Olympian yes. of all time. In I've fact, still got a pick. In fact, I'm going to throw oh, Michael you? Phelps in there. How can you not have the the most winningest Olympian of all time? I'm going to put Michael Phelps on my list for pick number five. Mm. So the Michaels that haven't been picked. On my list is Michael Myers, uh, yep. Michael Douglas, yep, uh, Michael Owen, uh, yeah, Mickey Owen, Sean Michaels. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the wrestler, the heartbreak yeah. kid, uh, Mike Delaney? <laughs> um, but the one I'm going with, oh. the Grand Slam, fifteenth pick, and everyone will say, genius, leaving him to last, <laughs> slam dunk it. It's Michelangelo. Oh, well done. Yeah, good stuff. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> That's a great call. So um, we'll run through the fives just quickly, Steph. Yours, you, you can start with yours. Actually, let's start with the nice since he started. Michael Jordan, Mickey Mouse, Mike Krzyzewski, Crocodile Dundee, and Mikhail Kalashnikov. <laughs> Brilliantly read out as well. I've got uh, Michael Schumacher, Michael Jackson, Michael Scott, Michael Corleone, and Michael Phelps. Mm, Mark Stafford. I've got uh, Mike Tyson, Magic Mike, Mike Cron, <laughs> Sir Michael Jones, and Michelangelo. Yeah, strong pitch. So, so notable uh, absentees off the list uh, is the man that we framed this whole segment around, Michael McIntyre. Uh, Michael J. Fox didn't make it on. Michael Kane, Michael Campbell. Uh, Mick Jagger, who actually is oh, Michael, yes. but Mick Jagger. Uh, I had Mike Ross as well from Suits, just if people liked that show. Don't watch Suits. Yeah, if they were fans of that show, they'd like Mike Ross. But Michael Vick was uh, Michael Vick was controversial. Yeah. Yeah, ineligible, <laughs> correct, yeah. I, I do want a notable mention for Mike Delaney, the great Bay of Plenty first five. Mm-hmm. And, Super rugby legend could have nearly was an All Black. Might have had an All Black tech game. I don't know, but the the one thing I love most about Mike Delaney was his very first email address: Stainy Delaney at hotmail dot com. <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> God, we got to do a segment of people's old email addresses at some stage because I'm not telling you. Mike oh, yeah, yeah, okay. My <laughs> brother's one was literally. I don't know how he came up with this, but my brother's one was. Get you every word had a under, underscore in between it because that was the rage was putting underscores between every word. So it was get your dog off my lawn at oh. hotmail.com with uh, underscores under every word. <laughs> and you <laughs> nightmare re- to type out, you regret that, don't you? Oh, every absolutely. time you have nightmare to, log to type out something, anyway. New sport and weather after that, we're going to have a chat to Bart Cowan. Just gone 2 30 um, on a Tuesday afternoon, thanks to Goal. Dot NZ, go and register there for the notifications when they're already economical fuel. Just gets just that little bit cheaper as well. Um, love Racing Dot NZ, that's where you get all your thoroughbred racing news, previews, replace profiles, and a whole lot more. And we're very lucky now to be talking to the track manager for the Waikato Racing Club in Terapa there. It's Bart Coward. G'day, Bart. Yeah, good afternoon. Gosh, how bad did the weather get down your way and how concerned with you about the amount of water going on your track? Well, so rainfall in the summertime for a race course manager is fantastic. Um, as long as you're not racing, that is. You know, when you're not racing, you're getting rainfall, you're not having to irrigate. Uh, Mother Nature's way more consistent than us. <laughs> but I did have a couple of race meetings that were around that time of all that heavy rain and uh, rain on the day, or that much rain on the day, would almost stop us from racing. When you get those, and maybe not in summer, but when you get those really, really heavy tracks and the and the horses are really going through it and there's big clods coming out, how much reparation work is there done after the meeting or the, ne- the next day to get it all level and get those sods put back in? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question, Mark. We, um, we have a gang of about five or six blokes, um, and when we're racing on a heavy eight or a heavy nine track in the winter, it can take three days of just being out there Jeez. in a line of five or six guys, uh, guys, literally putting divots back in holes. That's way more than I expected, actually. But it's a long, long way, isn't it? How, how is your track like twenty two hundred something like that? No, we're only, we're eighteen hundred meters, about eighteen hundred meters around. Um, but of course, in the winter time, the horses do drift a bit and they spread out. So mm. you know, it's it's one of those jobs where. In the wintertime, it is pretty soul-destroying. But and the flip side of that is in the summertime, we can, on a nice summer meeting, when you're racing on a good three or a good four track, we can be around that in two to three hours in the summer. So 
What's your ideal track surface? Are you guided by NZTR or anyone to say, you know, spring racing or late summer, autumn racing, whatever it is, we'd like sort of a three and a half, four. Can can you get it exact like that as long as the weather plays its part? Yep, as long as the weather plays its part. Um, in this day and age, we've got a lot more tools that are available to us. Um, obviously, the pentometer is the old-fashioned one that we've used for a long time. But we've also, nowadays, we've got moisture meters, um, which measures an average of 10, uh, 12 and a half centimeters of your top of your profile, your average moisture content. Um, and we've got going sticks as well that measure how much give your track's got. Um, and all those are aids to help us get to what the desired uh, track is. Um, and in the summertime, you know, if we can be a four in the morning, and race on the bulk of the day four into a three on the bulk of the racing, that's the ideal track that we're trying to provide. How often do you mow the grass? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> In the spring and autumn, we could mow it three times, three to four times a week. Um, and then in the middle of winter, in the middle of summer, when the growth slows down once a week, once every two weeks on a real dry, hot summer. And is it just those big gang mowers behind a tractor like used to mow the lawns at my school? <laughs> pretty pretty much, mate. Um, we have moved on now, Mark, and we are using uh, big wide-cut rotary mowers um, of three metres wide. Um, gang mowers make a nicer cut, but as long as you've got a rotary mower which is nice and sharp, it does as good a job as a gang mower. And how much management? Like, I'm, lo- I'm loving this. Like pe- Blokes love lawns. Um, Height of the grass, does it depend on the season? Ah, the, um, you, ask, you ask some good questions, Mark. The height of the grass is is quite a topical subject at the moment. Um, the general rule of thumb, and what I try and do, and it varies from track to track and how much wear you've had on your track and your season, but generally I cut to 80 or 90 centimetres, and that'll be on the Thursday before Saturday meeting and then it'll grow and we'll be racing on 100 to 110. Wow, that's a lot longer than I thought. Yeah, we're pretty unique in the sports turf field. Um, you know, cricket ovals and golf courses, they're all down, you know, that 10, 15 millimetres on fairways and lower on greens. Cricket pitches are a lot lower again. Um, so we're quite unique in the sports turf industry, um, which does cause us problems because obviously when you're driving tractor wheels over grass, that you know, is longer, it lies down, and sometimes you struggle to get it all consistently mowing. You've got a double cut, or some tracks have out front mowers, so you're not driving over the grass first uh, to get that nice, consistent coverage. What's your, um, are you like, I'm trying to think of the, the sprays or keep the weeds out, keep the grass lush? Have, have you got a secret ingredient? Have you, have you stumbled on something that works well? I bought 20 litres of chemical this morning at $800. So, no, I don't have a secret ingredient, but I wish I did because it would be cheaper than that. (laughs) Is weed control tough? Weed control, um, yes, it is. Because when you're you're galloping a horse on the track, obviously the divots it leaves is, is an open space. So, you know, you're trying to get grass seed in there to germinate and grow because if you've got a bare space in your track and you haven't got grass growing on it, weeds will grow in those areas. Interesting. And but are you have you always been a, a grass and turf man or were you a horseman that became a grass and turf man? Well, that's that's another good question. My parents were horse trainers. Um 
as a kid, I never had much interest in horses, to be honest. But uh, I had to have an apprenticeship before I could leave school, my dad told me. So I got one at the local Cambridge Jockey Club, and I did my level three in sports turf management and have been sort of involved in the sports turf industry from then on. Um, I did delve into managing cricket pitches and golf courses for a little while. But, um, you know, they say once horse racing is in your blood, it's, it's always there. You're not Bruce Cowan's son, are you? Nah, Leo and Jenny Cowan's son okay. in Cambridge. I was going to say, my first ever horse I owned was trained by Bruce Cowan. I was thinking, this is small world stuff for me, but no. <laughs> okay, that's all good. Hey, Bob, really interesting stuff, mate. Really, really interesting. Um, I'd love to catch up again sometime. I love talking grass and turf and... My Sammy, my producer, he just loves lawns. He lo- are your lawns good at home? No, you know, you know the old saying, "Hey, my lawn is at home is terrible, absolutely <laughs> terrible." But we're all experts. We're all experts at growing grass because we can all do it. But um, it, there's a little bit more to it on a race course, but not a whole lot. Yeah, good man. Thanks, Bart. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, Mark. Bart Cowan there, uh, track manager from Terapa Waikato Racing Club. Fascinating stuff, hey. Just fascinating. Um, I think we're going to play the vault. Is that next on my script? It yeah. is. Yeah, we got I'm, the vault. I'm actually surprised. Like um, I would have thought that, um, but you know, like just takes the mower on the tractor home. You know, for a cra- I've always wondered that with like golf um, turf managers as well. Like, do they just pop the pop the golf mower and some of the products on the back of the trailer and just uh, take it home to just give the lawn a bit of a spruce up? Surely. Well, KJ, who's the groundsman at the Waikato Stadiums. Yeah, he sends me photos of his backyard all the time, and yeah. it's magnificent. Yeah, I bet he takes a few products, huh? Oh, absolutely. Oh, you've started ringing. 0800 811. Get on the chocolate wheel. See if we spin your number of your telephone line to play the vault. 250 $250 TRB bonus bet up for grabs. Three questions, one answer. Can you crack the vault? Phone box blew up. Mm. Smoke <laughs> coming out of the I know. out of the computer. Everyone wants the two fifty TAB bonus bets. We haven't got long. Uh, three questions though. Just three questions. This is our fourth day. Fourth day attacking this. Um, spin the wheel, Sam. <laughs> Give me a number, Sam. One to five. 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 It is Ted from down in Hamilton. The Tron. G'day, Ted. Hello, G'day, Ted. Good day, Hello, mate. G'day, All right. Now, have you been listening? Do you feel like you're getting close? Um, yeah, I listened yesterday, and um, well, if you look at LeBron, how many magic moments has he had? So it's true. <laughs> it's it true. is true. Well, you got three questions to try and narrow it down, Ted, before you have a punt. Two fifty on the cards if you can get it right. Let's go okay. with your three questions then. I guess question number one. Um, in this moment, is LeBron taking a shot? Great, that's a good question. Uh, no, he is not. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when the first one's no, because yeah. then you're like, yeah. Okay, then question two. Mm. Question two. Is, in this moment, then, is LeBron making a pass? Oh, that's another <laughs> good question. Ted. No, he is not. Oh, what else could he be doing? <laughs> okay, question three. Mm-hmm. In this moment, is LeBron playing for the Cavs? 
Oh, there's another good one. Getting sort of... Yes, he is playing for the Cavs, Ted. Oh, now your guess for $250 TAB bonus bet. Not taking a shot, not making a pass, but he is playing for the Cavs. I wish you all the very best, Ted. Your guess. Okay, so in 2016, the Cavs played Colton State, Ted. He chased down Ibidara and blocked him from behind. Wow. That is 2016 Cavs playing who did you say? Golden State. Golden, Golden State. State. Chase down Iguodala gave him a big block. That is um, <clears throat> very specific. F- it's very specific and very fine work considering the uh, the answers to some of the questions, Ted. But let's punch it into the uh, vault and find out if you are correct or incorrect. There it is, Teddy with the 250. Yeah, boy. Nice. Was that. <laughs> Don't sound too excited, Dad. Nice. nice. Was that in the back of your head as a possibility, was it? Um, yeah, when I first had a look at LeBron, I mean, he's got so many scoring records, you just couldn't, couldn't pick a moment on that, especially on his dunks and his shooting. So I thought it had to be something in the off the ball. So it was either a pass or a block hook, all I could think. Oh. Now, uh, I had a quick look at him. Yeah, I had a quick look and that one came up. Well, do you know what they do on the big game shows, Steph? Uh, they say, Ted, what are you going to do with the 250? Coaching landscape with news that Scotland's in talk with uh, Leon McDonald. 
And I thought Liam McDonald was tying himself to Razor for the next All Black job. So what does that say? It's shaky. Uh, I'll read some of the text messages out after the new sport and weather. That's three o'clock. That's now. It's John McNeil. you got an hour left on the afternoons with Steffi. It's been good to have your company today. Good to have Gull's company as well. They fuel your mission all year round. Do the good folk at Gull. Had a few texts through on the Tampa Bear Post text machine, which is double eight double three. Uh, from Mikey Staffy, I hold great fears for Razor. All this news of other coaches getting jobs and the NZRU wall of silence is of concern. Also, are you doing a Super Rugby special this week? Cheers, Mikey G. I'm not going to this week, Mikey. I'll have a look. Um, I like to have a, at least one round in earnest, top teams, meaningful games before I go large. I might have a little speculation, Mikey, um, but I will make it part of my Friday diet, Mikey, as I did last year. Um, Kent, Staffy, you read more and more into this all-black coaches. It's either Foster and Schmidt or Joseph and Brown. If this Leon McDonald goes to the Scots, I'm making some calls. (laughs) Well, if you're Leon McDonald, what do you do? I think if you're Leon McDonald and you know you're not going to get the All Blacks job, do you stay at the Blues or you go to Scotland? You go to Scotland. You get international experience. And it'd be a fun job too. Gregor Paul hasn't said he's done, done, but it sounds like he's done, done, and he's going to go and be part of the French coaching setup. Gregor Paul. What did I say? You see Gregor Paul. Gregor Townsend. <laughs> Gregor Paul, Gregor Townsend. the old uh, Scottish New Zealand Hill rugby rider. Yeah, look, he'd be a great coach. Uh, Gregor Townsend, too. Uh, um, uh, Gregor Paul, yeah. <laughs> oh, a scholar. Um, so interesting. Um, Ken's also said, Sky Tower in 94, we all had long hair and never slept and drank like lizards. Mm. But no, I can't remember, Steve. Well, I'll tell you what. Manaya has done... What can only be described as some of New Zealand's most impressive investigative work. Oh, he's tracked down Steve. He's tracked down Steve Manai. Breaking news. I do I need a? Uh, do I need a little? Uh... Breaking news. <laughs> developing stories. <laughs> it's much to do about nothing. I just mentioned that I used to work with the guy who said he poured some of the concrete that makes up the sky tower, mm. and he lived in a house truck in Tamuka, and um, he got free showers at the. Local gym. Well, no, he, paid, he paid, he paid for the membership. But um, to use the showers at the gym, yeah. Now, you, but you found him, and you've actually found a photo of him. He's found a photo of him, Steph. And you, your um, sort of summation of of him was that if you found out this guy built the sky tower, you probably wouldn't want to go up it. <laughs> and I'm looking at that guy, thinking he almost looks like Jesus. Like I would want that guy to make make a sky tower out of concrete. He can do anything with concrete. Yeah, it was more just, I don't know, you just look at the Sky Tower and you think, God, that's an impressive building, but you don't ever think that you would know a bloke who... Has he got a filter on that, though? Yeah, I think that's a nice little sepia tone over the top of that. Shout out to Steve, by the way, if he's ever listening to this. Um, And sorry, how did you know him again? We poured concrete together. Oh, sure. (laughs) Not not at the Sky Tower, but yeah, you did. So he'd been around for a while. Yeah. Oh, he's done it all. Yeah. Yeah. Because the Sky Tower was 94. 94, according to Ken, yeah. Was it 94? Yeah. Um, and you probably were in the concrete scene, what, sort of between 2010 <laughs> or 2020? Some uh, t- 2017, 2016? No, no, no. This, was, this would have been 2013, 14. 2013. So What's your most so memorable pour, Manoi? <laughs> oh, jeez. I mean, the, yeah, what the, have you done? the tilt slab panels that made up a, uh, a shed in Rolleston were some of my <laughs> finest work. Wow. Um, was able to be there to erect some of those panels yes. uh, as well. 
Um, probably when we poured about 10 grand worth of concrete directly into an open hole and then poured <laughs> dirt back over the top of it. <laughs> why? Uh, was it a mistake? I'm legally obliged not to tell you why. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> sure. It's a, it's a uh, doomsday bunker. Um, so Steve is obviously Christchurch based since you met him down there. Timaru. Timaru, sorry. Um, and he was somehow well, t- up sorry, in Auckland. Timuka, as I mentioned. Timuka, but he's up in Auckland doing no, the sky tower. As I said, he, he's pouring... Is he, like, is he the guy? Is it like, no, yeah, we, 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 got, we got this big project in Auckland and someone gets Steve with the goatee on the phone, please. Um, I've, no, it was pre... Well, we were working on precast concrete, so there's every chance that he poured it down south and then it was carted up to Auckland. <laughs> or also, this was 20 years before I ever met him, so... That's what I mean. He's been around for a long time. It could have equally... He, he may have lived there. When, when, still when have you last been in touch with him? Is he still got? Uh, st- the day I left staff. Oh, so you couldn't flick him a message and go, hey, Steve, do you want to jump on radio with us? You don't know him that well. Oh, I mean, maybe. I don't. You, found, you found him. <laughs> flick him a DM. Are you friends with him? Or? No, just add the friend I request. just would hate for Steve to be like, you know, I mentioned that once in passing. It's not actually true. And now this guy's trying to. A couple of mutual friends there to, as well. Get me on to. Um, oh, you got a couple of mutual friends on Facebook. Yeah, well, all the other guys we were working with, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to make you message him. Oh, no, I'd love to get him on the show. Um, and I'd like to figure out if he's still going. Because if he is, Steph, that's over 30 yeah. years in the concrete business. Imagine the stories. Yeah. And oh. I imagine when he did the Sky Tower, he probably a couple of years into that as well, given it was such a big project. So it could be a forty. We could be talking about a forty-plus year career here in, in mm. the concrete game. Gifted dog man as well, Steve really? Gibson. Dog yeah. whisperer? No, no. Uh, that's where you when there's a. Did giant... you just say Steve Gibson? Yeah, that isn't is, that yeah. Stephen from Dunedin? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. That's a diff- that's spelt differently. He's Gibson. Yeah, but it's spelt the the the, the first part spelt differently. Oh, okay. Uh, no, Dogman's the guy who's holding the rope when the panel of concrete's being craned into position. Right, so what'd you call it? Dog. Dogman. A dogman. A dogman. Oh, so nothing to do with canines. Nothing to do with dogs. No, no more to do with tilt slab uh, Text from Ken saying, Manaya, are you on tomorrow? I'll give you. I'll, I'll. The answer to the question, Ken, is yes, Manaya is on tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But the anticipation of what you're going to tell me tomorrow is going to keep me up all night, Ken. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and can't, it can't be something lame now, Ken. You can't make him stay up all night to just find out something that he could find on the internet. Yeah. So it better be good. It better yeah. be something to do with Steve. It better be something. <laughs> yeah, not just whip your cream before you put it on the apricots. Tastes much better. It better be something good. Taught me how to use a Cali float, did Steve? Cali float? Do we have an hour to do on pouring uh, <laughs> concrete? Cali yeah. float. <laughs> yeah. No idea what that is. Cali Explain float. the Cali float. Okay, it's got anything to do with the dogman. So you pour all the. <laughs> well, the dogman taught me how to use the Cali float. Um, <laughs> uh, it's a giant machine that's got hand. You know, like a floor polisher? Yeah, yeah. I know the one. It spins yeah. around on the. It's like that, but instead of that, it's blades and it's to uh, finish off the top of the concrete right. panel so that it's all nice and smooth. Didn't they put. Didn't you get big long lengths of timber and you go chicka, 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 chicka across the top? Yes, yep. Screeding, that's called. That's for smaller. Uh, Screeding? Yeah, and it's a bit more of a uh, rougher finish, so it's good for things like concrete pads if you're going to be walking on that in yep, the wet. Yep, sure. Yep. As opposed to your smooth Cali float finish, you're just going to slip over any moisture on that. Na- natural. Um, you, you talk about concrete how finish. I talk about paint. It's like a, <laughs> it's a knowledge that once you're in the club, you're sort of, you're proud of it. I will know? say the smell of wet cement before it sets is just delicious. I love it. <laughs> um, Phil said 400 cube was the biggest pour I've had anything to do with at Oceania Gold Reefton. I love that. Is that a swimming pool? I don't know. I don't know if I can read that one from Craig either. I, I can't talk and read and vet and censor mm. all at the same time. Should we, should we have a chat to Bharat Sandaray, son? Let's do that after this. 
Righto, Beastie Boys. That was so well themed for our next guest. But he's not answering, which is a real disappointment. I was very much looking forward to talking to Bharat. He's a SEN cricket commentator based in India at the moment. India, of course, taking on Australia. The news that Pat Cummins has had to return home, and we wish him well with the family, uh, a sudden family illness. Um, but what it does, it takes away their captain and potentially their best test match bowler as well. So um, want to ask about how that, how that will impact and why India is so hard to beat at home. Um, I've watched a fair bit of the India Australia Test Series actually and I do enjoy it. I, I love their crowds over in India. I love their passion. I do love their passion. Uh, their penchant for spinning and how what did I hear? I didn't see that time. I think it was did they lose something like six wickets in twenty minutes? The Australians? I feel like it was something like that. Um just cut a swathe through them. An absolute swathe and very interested to see what uh, his predictions are for the next test match, which can't be too far away. I'm going to have a quick little squiz, see if I can find. That one gets underway. Of course, New Zealand are playing England, but uh, Nepal are playing Scotland. There's one for you. Um, scrolling, scrolling. New Zealand, England starts Friday, 11 o'clock in the morning. Australia, India starts 1st of March, 5 o'clock. India, prohibitive favourites at $1.36. Aussie at 4 60 Draw at 680. They don't tend to have weather interventions um, over there in India, um, but it doesn't look like the most ideal playing situations over there as well. Quite um, smoggy, foggy, musty. I'm not sure what it all is, but um, hopefully we can get uh, Bharat Sundarasan, Sundarasan on the line shortly. I can see Sam talking. So I'm guessing they've got him on WhatsApp, but I'm not 100% sure what's going on. So I'll just keep um, keep on trucking along. Um, this, oh, he's good to go. Sam's just giving me the big thumbs up. Oh, this is great. Now, we had a fantastic intro song for our next week. Let's play it again, because he's, here it is. This will get him in the mood. There he is. That's the Beastie Boys. And he's a big fan, Barrett Sundarasan. G'day, Barrett. <laughs> oh, thanks for that uh, afternoon, Mark. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very early in the morning here in India. Still, I mean, early by India standards anyway. Uh, but yeah, that that does get me going. Or any a, anything with uh, some fast guitar and a good rhythm. Absolutely. I'm in 100% agreement with you. Um, we're in the midst of a what well, was a much-anticipated uh, India hosting Australia series. Are the Indian press and the Indian public a little bit disappointed with what Australia's thrown at you? Um, disappointed, yes, but I think more surprised, Mark. Uh, uh, I, I, so are we, to be honest. I mean, uh, we came here from Australia hope, uh, expecting this Australian team to really uh, by now having put on quite a show or made quite an impression. Uh, oh, I mean, I kept saying this is Australia's best chance in a long time to win a series. And that was based on um, just how this Australian team has gone in the last 
12 or so months, I mean, at home, but also in Pakistan and Sri Lanka. Uh, and I was there in Bangalore to see them prepare uh, and, you know, have that little camp. And this looked all set. And then Nagpur happens, and I've seen that happen before. Visiting teams coming to India and just um, getting a reality check on a pitch that turns a little more than uh, they expect or, or they expect the pitch to turn a lot more than what it actually does. But then uh, to kind of run the game for large periods uh, the way they did in Delhi and then for <laughs> that shocking collapse in 70 or so minutes, uh, yeah, I mean, people, are, people are shocked. I mean, even speaking to some of the Indian players, to be honest, uh, they expected this series to, at this point, uh, you know, at least not if not the scoreline, but at least uh, it for it to have been much closer than uh, and than what it is. But yeah, two shocking collapses uh, across two second innings has uh, left Australia, yeah, looking very very bad. The, the amazing thing for me about particularly that all out for ninety one, Australia are known for their. Stickability, ability to hang around with the likes of Kawaja, Labashane, Steve Smith, Peter Hanscom, they, they can stick around and, and none of them did. It's just blew me away. Uh, yeah, and uh, you say that, but like, you know, with the 91, um, and they came here talking about wanting to be proactive, wanting to dictate terms to the spinners, not letting uh, Jadeja and Ashwin settle. Uh, and then they just. I, I call it panic. I mean, they just panicked and uh, sort of went into their shell where they just let Jadeja and Ashwin bowl at them. They got stuck in the crease. Uh, they didn't show any energy in the crease. And if you do that against those two, uh, they'll just eat you up. And, and that's what happened. Uh, I'm almost more shocked with the the 113 all out or at least the, what, 8 for 28 or uh, the, the mad collapse that happened here because... Uh, you walked into the Firosha Kotla Stadium in Delhi uh, two days back, uh, thinking, oh, Australia are on top. They were 63 runs ahead. Travis Head was batting really well. And I remember the second ball of the day, he drove Ashwin for four. He was like, okay, we're on to something here. Uh, and then there was just this manic batting uh, where Australia just came and swept at everything, all, all the batters. Even guys were not comfortable with it. And they almost felt like if you don't get to a total or uh, get to a score within the next half an hour or so, this game's over. And, yeah, I mean, India just had them right then and there. Uh, and it's not that Ashwin and Jadeja had to do anything special. Yeah, there were a couple of good deliveries, of course, but um, Australia just crumbled themselves even before they got to the pitch. And, yeah, both collapses have been pretty surprising and shocking. And, uh, well, they have nine days uh, now or eight days to mull over it before we head to indoor for the third test. Pat Cummins, it's been announced he's flown home from the tour. Uh, thoughts are he's going to rejoin. I'm not sure if it's in time for the next test. If it's not, how big a loss is Pat Cummins to the Australian setup in, in a pretty crucial moment? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, thoughts and prayers with the Cummins family. I mean, there's a serious illness we hear in the family, and that's what he's going to deal with. And he was aware of it even while playing. So, I mean, who knows how much of an impact that had on him mm. uh, while while the game was on. Uh, and, and no, from all reports, he's supposed to get come back. Uh, the third test isn't before March 1st, so that's still uh, seven or eight days away. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if he doesn't, if he, if, you know, for some reason he isn't able to come back uh, before then, uh, it would be a huge loss uh, because he uh, has led, you know, not just from the front, as the cliche goes, but he's, 
literally been uh, uh, he's changed the way Australia play Test cricket. I believe uh, as a fast bowling captain, he's uh, won so many games for them from positions where uh, maybe other teams might not be able to. I saw him do that in Pakistan last year and in Sri Lanka. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, he would be personally very disappointed as well with how this uh, uh, series has gone. Uh, uh, but I, I think, uh, look, it's um, to do with batting for sure. I mean, none of their batters have really put their hand up and made a really big score, uh, which is what you need to do to even threaten India, forget win here. Uh, but the bowling as well, uh, it's been good. I mean, they've had some positives in Todd Murphy and Matthew Kuhneman and Nathan Lyon uh, bowling as well as he ever has here. But the the strength of India, the the, the middle order, Ashwin and Axel Patel batting at eight and nine, they've just constantly taken the game away. I wanted to ask you about why it's so hard to win in India, but your conditions uh, just suit your team. So the part B of that question was going to be, uh, but uh, who's who's India's big rival in Test cricket? Who, who's the ones the fans like to see them play and beat the most? Oh, it is Australia. Uh, I mean, I know the India-Pakistan rivalry gets uh, talked up a lot, uh, but because they don't play each other uh, too often in bilaterals, and hey, look, they haven't played each other in a Test match since 2007. So, mm. uh, I mean, there's, uh, it, it's it as a rivalry, you know, it, it's exciting when they play in the World Cup, but it's not the same. It, it is Australia, and the reason for that is Australia are uh, uh, the one team who have come and. Uh, rarely just folded, right? Like a lot of teams, including England. Yes, England won a test match here two years ago. Uh, but they folded so often uh, that, you know, it, it's not the same. But with Australia, look, they, I think a lot of Indians uh, right now grew up at a time, including myself and Australia, uh, were indomitable, right? So that 2001 series when India came from behind that famous lakshman Dravid partnership, uh, that changed the whole makeup of this India-Australia rivalry. And now that India have gone there to Australia and beaten them uh, twice, uh, has just kind of... And there's been so much animosity as well. I mean, this has been the friendliest India-Australia series by far. I know it's actually annoyed a lot of former Australian cricketers back home. Uh, but, uh, you know, in 2017, when Australia came here, they were all at each other's throats. Virat Kohli was saying, I don't have any friends at the Australian camp. But now it's all smiles. He's friendly with everyone. Uh, I mean, uh, while he's waiting for his DRS call, he's standing with the Australian team, not with his batting partner. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> things have really changed in that sense. Uh, but still, I mean, the Indians just take a special joy in in beating Australia because for so long they were the underdogs uh, whenever they played Australia. Joined by uh, Bharat Sundaresan. I hope I've got your name right, Bharat. Uh, I do my best. Um, I was lucky enough a few years ago to sit and spend an hour with uh, Sonny Gavaskar at a rained out game in Napier and he'd come out to New Zealand and brought his wife and he said it's just so nice to be able to walk around the streets, go to a cafe, you don't get bombarded. Can you try and explain to our New Zealand listeners what normal run-of-the-mill life is like or isn't like for someone like Virat Kohli (laughs) in and around the streets of India? Um, I actually give you a very a live example of that. Um, so this test match finishes at around like 2 p.m. Uh, two days ago. Uh, and then, uh, uh, so it's a Sunday. And as we, we finished our work, you know, wrapped up our SEN work. And as we as we were leaving, uh, we see that two cars uh, just like drive past us. 
one has uh, Rahul Ravid and Rohit Sharma in it, the other one has Virat Kohli and Ravindra Jadeja in it. Uh, and to just like you know, run of the mill cars, like you said. Uh, so we saw them, uh, a couple of them noticed us as well. As soon as those cars left, we got into a, a taxi as well and we were right behind them. And literally the traffic just stopped. Like So they had to have a security guard kind of tag along with the car so that at the red light, he could like show away people who were trying to like run up to the car and uh, try to just knock on the window and try to get Virat Kohli's attention. So it's uh, it, it's an unreal life. I mean, they live in such a, I mean, we talk about bubbles in the last three, four years since COVID came along. I mean, but their life is in a bubble. It's, it's pretty um, surreal what uh, they have to go through. Uh, on a day, daily basis, I mean, they have, they, they can't go anywhere. They can't go to the supermarket. They can't go to watch a movie. If they want to go watch a movie, they have to call the movie theater in advance and so that everybody else is cleared out. They have special entrances to go there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they can't breathe without someone taking a picture of them breathing. <laughs> so it, it is quite, it is quite crazy, uh, to be honest. And which is why they, like Sunil Gavaskar told you, they love going to countries like New Zealand and Australia where, uh, at least they can briefly experience what it's like to almost be normal. You know mm. what I mean? So it's, uh, it is it is quite something. And uh, it's just getting uh, more and more. At least Gavaskar back in the day, could uh, he was always a celebrity. But even in the 80s when he was a superstar, he had a little more freedom than what uh, these guys do. They just live on high, high, like, you know, these massive... Uh, sky kissing uh, homes where their their houses are on the 40th and 50th floors uh, because that's where they are. I mean, <laughs> that's how far or cut off they are from reality in many ways. Oh, it's alarming. It's absolutely alarming. And they are absolute gods up in your part of the world and uh, wonderful cricketers too. Hey, listen, it's been, it's been a fantastic series so far. India going great guns and it's been great to hear your commentaries alongside the rest of the commentary team with SEN, which we get down here in New Zealand on our SENZ app. So, Bharat, uh, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for getting up early and having a chat to us. Anytime. Thank you so much and have a nice day. Thank you. Bharat Sundarasan there, who is part of the SEN commentary team, bringing you uh, live ball-by-ball commentary of that Border Gavaskar trophy. And interesting to hear him say that their number one rival is Australia. I, said, I thought it might be. I thought it might be England, but there you go. Um... We'll take a new sport and weather. Here's Johnny Mack. We're going early today because um, Jimmy Smith's coming up in about 10 minutes. So let's have a look back what happened on this day. It's February 21. It keeps chugging along. In 1970, excuse me, the American and National Football League officially merged, creating the new 26-team NFL as we know it now. The Baltimore Colts, the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers joined the 10 former AFL teams in the league's American Football Conference, while the other 13 NFL teams were grouped in the National Football Conference. 1970, that happened. 1993, Phil Mickelson, arguably the golf's best left-handed player ever, won his first PGA Tour event. First professional tour victory for 22-year-old Phil Mickelson when he won the Northern Telecom Open in 1991. He was not yet a pro and could not collect the winner's check. Have my first uh, victory as a professional be this one is awfully special to me, and I want everyone to know that this time I'm going to accept that check. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was the Buick Invitational at Torrey Pines. Uh, 
Phil Mickelson won by four shots. A lot of birthdays today. If you're born today, you're sharing it with some absolute champions. Uh, the late Cal Tremaine um, was born on this day in 1938. 1951, former New Zealand cricketer John Parker. 1963, on this day, Greg Turner, the former Kiwi pro and now golf course designer. Slats, Michael Slater, 53 years old today. And we've been talking about him today. He's 47. I don't want to offend anyone from Northern Ireland, but <laughs> the Northern Irish accent, Jonathan, it's the only time I've been with somebody who sneezed. I didn't know where they were from, and I knew where they were from <laughs> from the sneeze. I was in an airport, and there was a gentleman ne- next to me, and he started to do the pre, the, you know, the, and he goes, a chair. <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. Oh, he's wonderful, Michael McIntyre, and he's 47 today. I thought he was a bit older than that. 47 today. 39 today, still playing. Here's the first clue. Former all-black halfback, still playing. 39 years old. Here's another clue. Won the Ellerslie Flower Show one year. Andy Ellis, 39 today. And 30 today, big Carl Tu'unokoafe former All Blacks and Blues prop now playing a trade in France uh, on this day in 1977. Is this an ice hockey movie? Slapshot? Must be. It was the number one movie in 77 and the number one song in 77 was this. Kid in Town by the Eagles. Who's one of New Zealand's leading sports broadcasters whose favourite band is the Eagles? Who's your guess, Sammy Hewitt? Um, I've got three. Okay. <clears throat> Tony Johnson? Incorrect. Um, Grant Nisbet? Correct. Mm. Yep, loves the Eagles. Loves Emmy Lou Harris. Loves the Yankees. Loves the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't like the Boston Red Sox much. Of course he doesn't. Um, Tottenham Hotspur? Spurs fan, mm. unlucky. Wellington Lions, Hurricanes, All Blacks. Good proud man. What school uh, did he go to? Uh, Wellington College. Was okay. it? I don't think he was a St Pat's boy. Um, I heard another interesting fact about Grant this before you. Um, an absolute encyclopedic knowledge of the Civil War. Wow. Mm-hmm. The American Civil War. The American Civil War. Presidents is another one of his strong points. Wow. And the history of Major League Baseball. It's unbelievable. He loaned me so many of his books to read about. Ty Cobb's book blew me away. Um, I There used to be a website. Well, no, there is a website called Sporkle, and it's sort of like little quiz-type things, and one of them is to name all the presidents in a row. And I used to, when I worked at Sterling Sports, used to jump on the computer out the back, and every single day I'd do the presidents from old... Like, you know, first to, to last and used to do that every single day. And the states from left to right. Can't do it anymore, couldn't tell you. Oh, but, I was gonna say, but there was a time. There was a time. There was a time. It's amazing how often a pre- that they said um, when so and so was president of the United States and, and it's the first time I've ever heard of them. Yep. There's a lot of presidents mm. that left no footprint. Correct. A lot of them, especially the early ones. They yeah. were only in for like one term, they just kept rolling through them. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, you used to be able to do that. Same as kings and queens, like King Charles the first, second, third. Don't know the difference between any of them. If there were three. Mm. Uh, anyway, we'll take a break. We're going to come back with Jimmy Smith. He's a great man who hosts over at SEN in Sydney Town. We go live into his show. He comes live into our show. So we'll do that after the break. Counting down to Jimmy Smith. Um, he usually texts me, actually, and says, here's some talking points. Let's see if it's come through. Um, it hasn't. It hasn't come through. Um, the run home at 4 o'clock is Scotty Sumo Stevenson and Beaver Donald. From the Warriors launch dinner, is it? Function naming teams? Oh, it's just a season launch. Not sure where it is. Sammy Hewitt's going. He's brought in his glad rags today. Princess Wharf. Oh, flash. Flash. Sam's just going because they've told him there's caviar. So we'll find out if that's uh, actually true. Um, standing by to head over to Sydney, Jimmy Smith. Uh, former Rabbitoh? Rabbitoh. Former Rabbitoh. He'll be there now. Oh, he's late. He's late. Oh, gosh. This is just so unprofessional from one of the leading broadcasters in Australia, Jimmy Smith, just being late, not on time. Is, is he there? Of course is I'm he here. I was here. I was here at exactly <laughs> 1.45 your time, and you're 17 seconds late, Jimmy. What can I say? Yeah, look, apologies about that, but I thought I was two hours behind. <laughs> so 17 seconds, I'm taking that. <laughs> I mean, that's a marked improvement. <laughs> For me? Yes. Yes. What, what's been grabbing your show today, Jimmy? Uh, I'll tell you what. We've got, and, and it's appropriate that we're speaking to you guys about it too, right? We've got a, we've got a trans-Tasman series. We've got the Breakers taking on the Sydney Kings, mm. right? So I didn't know the Breakers still had a side. That's exciting, isn't it? So well done to them on that one. Where'd you run last year? Tenth? Last. Yeah. Last. How many titles have we won? Count the banners in our rafters. Yeah, you won about four in a row there, didn't you? Yeah, I think we've got five, I think three in a row, but I think five. Sammy's just gone straight onto the uh, machine. But I'll tell you what, it's, it was a rough couple of years for the breakers. Not making excuses, but, you know, they were based in Australia, had no home crowd. Um, it's an amazing redemption story to make the grand final, I think. It's like... Even if they lost the Sydney Kings, and I'm not saying they will, it's a winning season for the Breakers to come back. Um, new personnel, new coach, new fans. Um, it's being very much celebrated over here. And I like that it's a best of five series instead of best of three. Yes, yeah, I agree. Uh, absolutely. We could soak up this content because it's good, high-quality basketball as well. I agree. It's, the, it's an extraordinary performance from the Breakers. But we just spoke to Paul Smith. He's the majority owner of the Sydney Kings. And it seems that no matter where you go, like last year it was the Jack Jumpers in their very first season. It was like, oh, first year. Gee, we'd love for the Jack Jumpers to win. And by the way, we'd not like the Kings to lose too, but they, they <laughs> didn't. And then this year it's like, oh, the Breakers. That's amazing what they've had to do, what they gave up for, for basketball to keep playing. And they've come from last. And we'd also like the Kings to lose as well too. So, like, <laughs> so we're, we're, what our talk topic is today is that those villains that you love to hate during mm. the course. And here's the, the, the challenging one for me, Staffy, mm. and that is that a villain that everyone else hated in this country, I absolutely loved. I loved Sir Richard John Hadley. Oh, absolutely. King Richard yeah. over here. King. Is that right? Yeah. King Richard? He yeah, is like the that. king. Yeah. yeah. And an absolute gentleman. And I would admit, I'm not sure how old he is. Let's... For argument's sake, let's say he's 68. Yes. I, I don't think you would find another 68-year-old in the world 
that has consumed more mince and cheese pies than Sir Richard Hadley. He loves <laughs> a pie. He's 71. <laughs> 71. There you go. Loves a pie. Loves wow. a pie. Yep. But, uh, so, so he was a right-arm bowler, left-hand bat. I was a right-arm bowler, left-hand bat. I probably wasn't as good as Sir Richard. Well. That. Yeah, well, you know, that's just, you know, popular theory. But um, I used to, you know that little thing that he did at the, st- at the top of his runner? little sidestep, I was going to say. The little sidestep. Yeah. I used to love that too. Did you do it? Of course I did. Yeah, because all the schoolboy cricketers, myself included, we introduced the little sidekick into our run-up. Off-spin, leg-spin, medium pace, fast. Everyone had that. <laughs> the whole lot. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, now, the other one, of course, the other one we from uh, that we do love to hate was Richie McCaw. And I know that he was saving cats out of trees and helping old ladies across streets and all that. But he was never on side and he cheated. So that he was the other one that we um, we, we did like to hate him. Isn't, isn't that the ref's responsibility, not Richie's? <laughs> How can you blame Richie for playing to the edge of the law and getting away with it and not getting Sorry, for it? What was that stark admission from you right there? He, he tested the ref early in a game and if you get away with it, he kept doing it. The ref said get back on side, he'd stay on side. Yeah. He'd say, hey, you play. Oh, Richie. Sure. No problem. You stand wherever you like, mate. You give me Richie McCall, I give you Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith? Our very own, <laughs> <laughs> who occasionally wanders in here and does a show. He was he he's one of the few NRL players in history yes. that was yes. a fully fledged referee while he played. <laughs> that's true. Well, you know what, you know what, I'm I'm not here to defend Cameron Smith. That's good because he can defend himself. But <laughs> you're right. When he was playing for Melbourne and playing for Queensland, it yes. was like, oh come on, yeah. But they 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 earn that, you know. We had Sean Fitzpatrick before um, before Richie McCaw, and he ran games. He he was the referee. Um, he was brilliant at it. All black, all black captain played at hooker, led yeah. the All Blacks for a while. He controlled the game more than the referee. Didn't um, Phil Kearns gave him the two fingered salute when he scored that try in his first Test match? Yes, he did, and we yeah. have never ever <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> Is that what? Who did uh, was it? Richie McCaw that Quade Cooper kicked out at after scoring that try in Hong Kong? Yeah, it was a bit more than kick. It was knees. Knees. Was it? <laughs> it was knees. <laughs> until well, if you if you've got him there, you might as well make full use of what. Yeah, and I actually too, saw right? an interview Quade Cooper did not long ago, and he talked about that incident, and he said he loved the All Blacks, he loved Richie McCaw, and he was facing the Harker, and he says, if I can make an impact with Richie McCaw, and he had a brain explosion, he admits he had a brain explosion and did that every single time Quade Cooper came to New Zealand with the yes. Reds or the Wallabies, yes. booed. Yeah. He, he was just roundly booed because of what he did to our other King Richard, Sue McCaw. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I'll tell you what, if you, are, if you, if you do have having uh, kids, then surely you're going with Richard. Oh, you Zealand, are. If that's, your, if that's your, hang on, Richie McCaw and Richard Hadley. It's a yeah. good starting point. We had a thing today, uh, Jimmy, which you could join in on. We have a thing on Tuesdays called um, Draft Day Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, myself, Sammy, as you know, and we've got Manaya with us as well. We pick a five-team roster of various subjects. We've had our best beaches, our best small towns in New Zealand. So we, we accumulated our favourite five all-time Michaels. Who's your favourite Who's your favorite Michael of all time? Michael? Yeah. So do, do someone you know or like could no, it be no. Uncle Michael? Or well, I'll <laughs> like... tell you, mine, I had yeah. uh, Mike Tyson, 
I had Magic Mike, uh, <laughs> Sir Michael Jones, wonderful All Black as well. Mike Cron, who is the scrum coach for the All Blacks, he's just a wonderful man. And I had Michelangelo. So, wow. Could you give me a couple of your Michaels? I'll, I'll give you my favourite Michael. I had the great privilege to work on a movie with him oh. uh, many years ago. Sir Michael Caine. No! Yeah, swear to God. Hey, Phil, the only bloke who's going to stop me going into those rooms is your big bloke who's doing the tellies. Uh, he was talking about me there. And so Phil was Philip Noyce, who was directing The Quiet American at the time, and I was working in the camera department. He said, Jimmy, down to make up. <laughs> so I am actually in a movie called The Quiet American with Sir Michael Caine, and I stop him with my sheer physical presence. <laughs> From going into a room. Mind you, he's elderly and he's got a cane, but that's not important. He's Michael Caine with a cane. Michael Caine was on Sammy Hewitt's top five Michaels. There we go, Sammy Hewitt. I, I like Sammy I Hewitt. I didn't pick him, but he was a notable mention. He's like a sixth man. Oh. But I just remember oh, the line from... Uh, six you ever watch The Prestige, Jimmy? The, uh, well, this needs to be quick, Sammy. Yeah, yes, uh, Michael Caine. Uh, the only way I know how he does it is with a bloody double. <laughs> and that's my Michael Caine. <laughs> Very good crew. We've got to go. Till next week, Jimmy. Uh, See ya. Jimmy Smith there out of Australia. <laughs> He's banged out of Michael Caine for us. Oh, magnificence. Uh, we'll take our last break before we head up to the news and hand over to the run home.